If you are in Sydney or Melbourne, listen up because we have some exciting news for you. Listen. Yeah, listen. Saturday, July. (laughs) Melbourne, we are doing Do Go On The Quiz Show live one night only or one afternoon only. Part of the Replay Festival at Comedy Republic on Saturday, July 6th at 3pm. This is 2024. And then the next weekend in Sydney, we are going up for a live Do Go On podcast at the fabulous Ritz Cinema on Saturday, July 13th at 3pm. Also 2024. Yeah, 2024. Yeah. Listen. 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 And get tickets. Buy tickets. Tickets at dogoonpod.com. Come. Let's do it. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people sing you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. We're here. Oh, hello. <laughs> I genuinely just stopped for a second and be like, oh, no, I'm. this is where I'm meant to talk. <laughs> wow, I can't believe that was going to be the record of me fucking this show up. <laughs> Don't you think? Time-wise. <laughs> Seven seconds in. <laughs> I forgot good. how to do a podcast. He's that good. Well, luckily, Matt, you're in charge today of the report, so um, it's not like you'll have to have too much input on this episode. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Can I have a timeout at any time if you want? <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think I've already used that uh, token <laughs> up. Uh, I really want to just get straight into it because it's a, it's a longish one. Are you guys up for just kicking in? Yeah. And cracking on? Hell yeah. Rolling up the sleeves. Let's and, get uh, stuck in. Get stuck in. How does this show work again, Jess? Well, how this show works is that one of us, and there's three of us, we take it in turns to research a topic uh, and we read lots of articles about it and we watch documentaries and we write a little report about it. We bring it back to the other two who respectfully listen the entire time. (laughs) Oh, that's the best bit. (laughs) And this week it's Matt's turn for us to respectfully listen to him and not interrupt or make any silly jokes. And we usually get onto topic with a question, Matt. We do. I think people, if there's one thing people tune in for, it's the respect. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And the friendship. Mm. Yes. The respectful Uh, friendship. Yeah, we're so respectfully friendly. Mm. So the question this week to get us on the topic is, where is Transylvania University located? Okay, this feels like a trick question. (laughs) Transylvania, I believe, is in the place is now Romania. 
Do That's they, true. Do they have a university there? And this is, in fact, a double trick question. <laughs> I'm going to say Pennsylvania. Oh, Jess is closer. It's Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we would have got there eventually. <laughs> we <laughs> would never get there. I don't think I would. <laughs> so yes. this is from the university website. It explains, not that Transylvania. <laughs> Good. This is a good start. I love this already. It says, Our Transylvania is a friendly, top-notch liberal arts college located in Kentucky's beautiful bluegrass region. Not the region that many people associate with dark castles and legends of vampires in Romania. Even so, we have fun with our name. (laughs) Their mascot is definitely some sort of Dracula, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, I haven't looked that up. I hope so. It's just a drop of blood. (laughs) It's a little blood droplet. I want around. to suck your blood. Nah, just kidding. Come in and study science with us. <laughs> we'll teach you how to take blood. <laughs> uh, apparently, Transylvania is a, wor- a Latin word meaning across the woods. Uh, the heavily forested territory of Western Virginia that became Kentucky in 1792 was originally called Transylvania. And it became our name when the college was founded in 1780. Which is, I believe, Dave, you're a bookman. That's well before Dracula and Transylvania was written by Bram Stoker? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be beforehand. What, 100-odd years? Wow. Yeah, I think that's about right, 100-ish years. So they're like, yeah, I imagine maybe they wouldn't have picked it otherwise. Um, and f- finally it says, our nickname is Transy, which reflects the congenial spirit of our campus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't you think that just really reflects the congenial spirit. Yeah. It does sound congenial. Yeah, big time. Yeah. A word I use often and Mm. definitely know what it means. (laughs) If I could award a university the Miss Congeniality (laughs) ribbon or whatever, I'd give it to Transy. Yeah, big time. It's funny because it's like that's totally what that university would be called in Australia. You'd call it Transy Uni probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, everyone in the world does that. It's something that you hear sometimes Australians talk about it when they're talking to people from overseas. They're like, yeah, we like to shorten words. I'm like, I don't think that's our thing. <laughs> I think people around the world shorten words. I think we take it too far, but we're not the only ones who shorten things, of course. <laughs> it's like uh, anyone, anybody else in the world named Michael has never been called Mike. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, they're like, that's what do you good. mean? That's interesting. <laughs> Um, but we do, we do, we go too far, I think. Think of an example. Jess. Servo. <laughs> That's too far. <laughs> Arvo. Damo. Yeah, the big Bottle three. <laughs> you know, we put O yeah. at the end of things, essentially. Yeah, well, that's true. Maybe we do more O's and America does more E's. Transy. Transy, yes. Damey. Mm. Uh, so. Servi. Got the Servi. Today's episode oh, yeah. is about <laughs> a particular event at the Transylvania University, okay. the Transylvania or Transy Book Heist. <gasps> a book heist. A okay. book heist. Whoa. I love a heist. Dave loves books. I know. Wow. I mean, this is the perfect cross-section. <laughs> the perfect crime. Uh, this was suggested by Colin Salvatore Cataldo from Florida in the United States, Santiago Lopez from Whittier in Canada, and Max Edwards from Bristol in somewhere, I'm not sure where, he didn't say, probably England. Probably. But there could be other Bristols. There's got to be other Bristols. Surely. Uh, I call it Bristow. Um, 
Anyway, on the 17th of December 2004, in the library at the Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, librarian Betty Jean Gooch was waiting oh. for her meeting with a man named Walter Beckman. Betty Jean Gooch. Betty Jean Gooch, fantastic Betty Jean, name. fantastic. And would go with nearly any surname, but Gooch is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I think she's easily my, my favourite person in this whole story. Will you refer to her as uh, BJ Gooch? Uh, yes, that is her nickname, and that does come up Fantastic. shortly. BJ Gooch. And she was meeting who? Because he had a good name too. Walter Beckman. Walter Beckman, love that. He sounds like a businessman from the 1930s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to say he sounds like he's written one of, you know, the great American novels or something. <laughs> yeah, either the great American novel or he's he makes the great American box chocolates. Yeah, yeah, Walter Beckman's. Box of chocolates. <laughs> they weren't so good with naming shit back then, even no. though they had all the options. It was, they liked they to keep it very clear. What was on the box. Yeah. That's what they did. And it was chocolates. It was a box of chocolates. Yeah. You know, um, well, here we'd call it, you know, Beckman's Chockies or something. Yeah, Boxo Chockies. Yeah. But, you know, that's just what we're like here. Uh, what we like. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> um so you might remember Lexington, Kentucky from another oddball crime story we did not too long ago, uh, the Andrew Thornton and the Cocaine Bear episode. Ah, uh, yes. That was also based around this uh, this place. The, the, remember those two guys who had the Kentucky, that weird Kentucky shop? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yep. in the area. Oh, so in the mall. If we ever get around to our US tour... I mean, Lexington's got to be on the map. Probably not for a show, but at least for a stopover. I think at this point our US tour is going to take us about a year. Mm, 50 states, 50 weeks. (laughs) Yeah, 50 stops in every of the 50 states as well. So (laughs) Busy weeks, to be honest, quite busy. We're moving over, okay. (laughs) Uh, Gooch had never met Beckman previously. Spoken to him over the phone. And he set up the appointment via a Yahoo email address. It was 2004 after all. Love that. Everyone communicated via Yahoo. (laughs) Gooch was the guardian of the Transylvania Uni's Special Collections Library. Uh, According to the Lexington Herald Leader, the collection sits above the first floor of the library in a glassed-in room that is always locked. It has its own stairway and is not visible from the library floor. Right. I imagine when he said it's like it's on... The first floor in a glass box. I thought it was like a floating room or something. (laughs) Something that David Blaine might uh, do a trick in. Uh, The collection included a folio edition of John James Audubon's Viva Paris Quadrupeds of North America and a double elephant folio of his Birds of America, a book the size of a small table and as heavy as one too. Serious rare book collectors would have known the value. In 2000, a double elephant folio was sold at auction for $8.8 million. Holy <laughs> shit. So when you, is double elephant, is that a size measurement or is that, I think what does it, that mean? I, Yes, I think it's a, it's a big size measurement. A double, I've just written, yeah, just finished my first double elephant because turned it into the publisher last week. I think War and Peace might be a double elephant. <laughs> That's a double, double elephant. Uh, let me just double check. Uh, the double elephant. <laughs> it's the size. So, you know, A4 goes all the way up to double elephant. It's 678 <laughs> millimetres by uh, 1,016 millimetres. So over a metre tall. What? <laughs> and you're meant to be able to read that? Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's a book of artwork as well. So it's really, 
It's a yeah, it's just like a strange old school way of displaying art. Wow. Really. So it's kind of like it's a coffee table book that's bigger than your coffee table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's the size yeah. of a big coffee table. <laughs> yeah. You put legs on it, ready to go. Seinfeld, <laughs> didn't Kramer come up with yeah, that idea on Seinfeld? The, the coffee table book of coffee tables. And it also is a coffee table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah brilliant stuff. That is brilliant. Right? That must have been made a reality at some point. So, yeah, so 8.8 million. So that's just one of the items in this collection. So... And the, probably the most expensive one, but everything else is also worth thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Wow. In this, I don't want that responsibility of being in charge of that. You don't want to be in BJ Gooch's shoes. God, no. Mostly because she had smaller feet than me and it would be very uncomfortable. Ow. She loving, lovingly looked after this collection, though, and she took people through on tours, students from uh, inside the university but also outsiders could make appointments like uh, Walter Beckman did and she'd tour them around and explain everything that's going on. Wow. Uh, I've seen interviews with her. She just seems like a rad lady. Um, when Beckman was setting up the meeting, he had requested to see Audubon's book, the one that's worth millions, as well as other items including a first edition of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species which you might know as it is the one that sets out his theory on evolution, which is one of wow. the things he's famous for, I think, Darwin. Have you heard his work on evolution? I've know. heard it, yeah. yeah. He I've heard his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. I've subscribed, but I just haven't downloaded yet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You look, it's, it's sort of like it's one you want for like a road trip. Mm, yeah, for you sure. Know? I can't listen while I'm doing something else, <laughs> um, but it's perfect for road trips. really keeps you awake. According to an article in Vanity Fair by John Falk, uh, which I'll refer to a lot in this report, uh, wearing a, a heavy coat, gloves and a wool cap, Beckman signed the visitor's log. With a long, thin face and bleached blonde hair and sideburns, he appeared younger than Gooch had expected. He was also less cordial and more agitated in person, asking Gooch soon after arriving if he could invite a friend along to see the books. She agreed... A few minutes later, a short, dark-haired young man, also dressed in a winter coat, cap and gloves, entered the library. He said his name was John. The two men followed the librarian into the rare book room and John closed the door behind them. As he was heading towards the display case, Gooch felt a tingling on her right arm and collapsed to the floor. <gasps> oh, my God. She's been bitten by a spider. Out of nowhere. While she's trying to give a tour, that would be so embarrassing. Oh, sorry, I'm going down. Oh, oh no. no. I know we've just met, but can you call an ambulance, please? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Matt, is that, do you think that's going to be an issue for people? I know I've just met, but would you mind just making a phone call to save my life? I <laughs> I'd hope just it's be not a bit too more much embarrassed <laughs> if it wasn't someone I knew well. Yeah. You no. know, if I collapsed and it was you guys, I'd be like, oi, shitheads, call an ambulance, you know, because I'd, you know, we're, we're, we're casual like that. <laughs> But people I don't know and I'm trying to make a good impression and now I'm vulnerable and I'm tingling, you I'm know. Not, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm all right, I'm okay anyway, so right this way, thanks. <laughs> it wasn't a spider, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, no, it, it was Beckman who <gasps> had taken her down. With uh, what? With a, a stun pen, like a stun what? gun, yeah. But a pen? What? Yeah. Does that exist? A, wow. Apparently so. So wow. they've walked in, dressed. They've dressed very suspiciously: long coats, gloves, and a hat. Yeah, yeah. But no alarm bells were ringing until she was on the ground, passed out. Well, she. I mean, she. She loves the books. 
she just she loves showing people the books. She sees all sorts of people all the time. Um, maybe she thought it was a bit weird, but uh, you know, your instincts I don't think normally tell you, and she'd never had an issue before. Mm, I think something enough. really fucked is about to happen. I think people just normally make things make sense in their mind because nearly always it isn't something crazy about to happen. Yeah. Uh, that's me, like, you know, trying to get inside her mind. But uh, I feel like that's what I would have done. I'm like, oh, these guys are dressed warm, warmly. It's not that cold out. Uh, the leader continues. They took 20 pencil sketches drawn by Audubon for the Octavo edition of Birds of America, the first edition Darwin, a two-volume natural history from the 1500s called Autus Sanitatus, or Garden of Health, an illuminated manuscript from 1425, and the two large folios, you know, the two massive double elephant yeah. things. Oh, wow. Li- Library director Susan Brown saw the men leaving and, according to affidavits, told them to stop. They uh, had to get down the stairs when she saw them. They dropped the two folios. They were so heavy that they were battling to get them out. They oh, were clearly they like a table. Yeah, clearly struggling to get them out. They dropped them, bailed on them, easily the two most valuable parts of their heist, and they ran to a grey minivan where two other men waited and drove off. That's at least what Susan Brown thought. She thought uh, they ran over to two other men. I don't know if I'd stop for someone called Susan Brown either, you know. (laughs) Maybe I'd stop to yawn. (laughs) Susan Brown, the head librarian. I don't know, I like her. they... Quite, they were specific about what they were going in for. Like they knew what they weren't just um, grabbing anything, you know. Like yes. they were, they knew what they wanted and they knew what they were looking for. Yeah, that's right. But they did not anticipate how heavy the books would be. <laughs> no, it sounds like that is the case. Wow. Yeah. Can I just say it does seem a bit weird that there's two getaway drivers and only two people going in mm. when yeah. you need more people to carry shit. That that guy in the front seat and the passenger seat, he is a, I assume he is a waste of space. Yeah, he's useless. Well. So much so that he didn't exist. There wasn't actually two people in the minivan. There was oh. only one driver. But somehow she, yeah, she. that's what she told the police. She thought there was two. That, so that there was a team of four. So they've dropped both. Is there two of the big yes. book by dropping those two? the the Their payday has taken a significant hit. Mm-hmm. Damn. And also what are you going to do with it? It's got to be black mark. Anyway, I'm sorry. You'll probably cover this kind of thing anyway. But I will, I'm just I will, I'm yeah. intrigued. I will cover the. I will cover all of that. But you're right. And I, something I forgot. I didn't write into the report, but I read elsewhere. Um, Susan Brown. She was brave as she chased them all the way to the van. She got so close that she keyed the van apparently. Whoa! And was lucky not to be run over by them. But she went after them. Good on you, Susan. Uh, you still have a shit name, but good on you. <laughs> Within a few hours, the university had police officers everywhere. This included, as Falk describes, campus police, uniform Lexington police, plainclothes detectives and forensic teams, as well as local news crews covering the developing transy book heist, as it was becoming known, a crime that would one day be listed among the FBI's all-time most significant art theft cases. Whoa! Yeah, it's amazing. It's a funny little haphazard-looking thing where they didn't, didn't account for the their weight of the main thing they were trying to steal, but it was still it still ranked as such a significant art theft. Uh, at this point, all the police had was very little to go on. 
Uh, there were no fingerprints, very few witnesses. Um, what Susan Brown could tell them wasn't super helpful in terms of or what they their appearance. Um, there were no video. There was no video camera surveillance. Right. Uh, the police were told they were looking for four Caucasian men in their early twenties. Uh, Gooch still shaken by the incident, obviously. Yeah, was she uh, okay after the, the stunning? Uh, she was okay physically, relatively okay, but you know it was obviously very traumatic. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so but so soon after she was still shaken. Uh, when she was talking to the police and she described how she'd been struck by a taser-like weapon and that her hands and feet were bound with zip ties and her eyes were covered with a woolen hat. Whoa. So this is a a woman in her 50s, works in a library. You know, you're not, this would just come, you know, like to anyone this would come as a wild shock, but she's not working as a security guard in a a vault or something, you know, where you'd be expecting such things. She just wants to show people cool books. I know. Breaks your fucking heart. Yeah. Uh, one other detail stood out to her, though, and this is Dave sort of brought this up before. Despite not recognising the men, one of them called her BJ, which <gasps> was a nickname only friends and colleagues used. BJ, short for Betty Jean. Uh-huh. But she remembered one of the men saying, quit struggling, BJ, or do you want to feel more pain? That's weird. Hmm. So that's this, this very is, weird. This is a, a yeah, a bit of a clue that these guys must be somehow connected to the whole scene here, but mm. not sure how exactly. Um, the Lexington police got their commercial burglary squad on the case. Police were on the lookout for the getaway vehicle, the grey minivan. Um, airports were notified, and the FBI was also called in. But the thieves evaded capture, at least for nearly two months. Oh. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, growing, getting bigger, it all means the same thing. Squarespace (laughs) makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And if you're worried about like, well, I don't know how to write stuff for a website and make myself look good, well, you can get help with the written content for your website with Squarespace AI. You can generate instant personalized results that highlight your brand identity you can explain what your site's about choose your tone enter what you need and bang you got some short and long form text baby so squarespace ai makes it easy to go live stand out and succeed online i'm so glad you had that bit because i thought it was pronounced squarespace ai (laughs) anyway sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses or sell files your customers can download. I don't know if I'm hitting all these words as <laughs> intended, like PDFs, music, or ebooks. I would love to buy Matt's ebook. I'd like to buy Matt's course, and you you can do that. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Be more like Matt. 
Oh, 101. <laughs> wow. How yeah. many? One, does it go to 102? It goes all the way to 102. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you can customise everything with next generation editing technology. You can create engaging lessons your audience will love and then set the price. You can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Matt, how much is it to be more like Matt 101? Oh, three mil. Wow. Wow. Like per month or? Yeah, USD. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash do go on. Here is their story. Told dun, in large dun. part to journalist John Falk uh, when he interviewed them at the Federal Correctional Institution in Ashland, Kentucky. Funnily enough, it was four men. Uh, the what? The fourth man was on a roof, though. She wouldn't have been able to see him. Oh. Uh, but the four men were Warren Lipka, Spencer Reinhardt, Eric Borsuk, and Charles Allen II. No good names. No good names in that at all. I need to hear him again. Sorry, one more time. Warren Lipka, Ugh. Spencer Reinhardt, mm. Eric Borsuk, <laughs> and Charles or Chaz Allen II. Nah. What's Eric Borsuk's pretty good. <laughs> Eric Borsuk is probably the one that stands out a bit there. They're all kind of interesting looking, but they don't quite work, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just they just don't have the X factor. That's all. Yeah. They're fine names. I don't have a certain. I don't know how do you say it. I, I can't think of a phrase. But uh, a, a, a BJ Gooch about oh, them. Yeah. You know? They are no BJ Gooch. That's for sure. In any yeah. way, these guys are no BJ Gooch. I tell you that much. So these four men, they're all 1920, uh, were college students who all grew up in the same Lexington neighbourhood. They were former soccer teammates and were named in Kentucky's all-state high school soccer team a couple of years prior. Spencer Reinhardt and Warren Lipka grew up together as neighbours in the south of Lexington. And according to Folk, in high school, Warren, a lanky six-footer with a mop of brown hair, was a popular jock and a class clown who delighted his classmates by bear-hugging his nemesis, the Dean of Students at graduation. <gasps> that crusty old Dean. They got that crusty Dean with a hug. We showed him. He what hugged, a prank. He hugged the principal. Yeah, in front oh, of the crowd. And that would have got him. He got you. But did he crush him or something? <laughs> yeah, no, he just hugged him. Nat just said, he hugged him and said, thanks for all your support. And everyone was like, he fucking got him. He got him. You got it. You put like a kick me sign on his back or something. Like what? What's the prank, Dave? I don't think he get. Jess got it. It was a bear hug in front of him. He everyone. hugged him, Dave. He hugged him. Oh. So imagine, imagine, right? Imagine Matt's been bullying me for years, right? And then at our graduation, I just go up and I hug him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Can you? Do you get it now? Yeah, it's very funny. That is I think funny. I get it. That's very funny. Sorry to use you as an example there, Matt. Uh, obviously, that's, well, that was just a, that was not true. No, you'll never hug and me. I'd never <laughs> hug you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spencer, meanwhile, Spencer, who's uh, Reinhardt, meanwhile, was a short, wiry, distant, and in many ways, Warren's opposite. An overscheduled, overachieving, diamond-tipped drill of a kid who excelled at whatever he set himself to. He focused above all on painting, gaining admission into prestigious Lexington arts programs. So that's how he got in to the uni. Very good at art. And drilling, diamond it sounds tip. like it. Oh, like he was like a, a diamond tip drill personified, whatever that means. 
I don't get it. I love it sounds the, like a compliment. Well, that's what the work of folk is so good in that way that you know, sometimes you're not exactly sure what he means, mm-hmm. but you know what he means. I'm reading between the, the you lines. You get the vibe. Yeah, you get the vibe for sure. Despite the differing temperaments and the disapproval of Spencer's parents, so he refers to them by their first names a lot. I I do more of our classic surname thing. So Spencer is Reinhardt. Warren is Lipka. Uh, the two were best of friends from the age of eight, a friendship that revolved largely around soccer. Uh, so, yeah, Spencer's parents apparently were not keen on this because uh, Lipka was the class clown. Uh, though they attended... Oh, you don't, want you, you don't want your kid to be friends with a funny yeah. child. Mm-hmm. You do not want Get that. in with the wrong crowd. Yuck. Oh, a, 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 the class clown, you say? Makes everyone laugh, does he? <laughs> not in my house, yeah. he doesn't. yeah. Probably from a slightly less good area of this very wealthy area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about it on the, the Cocaine Bear episode, but this area is like it's a lot of, you know, horse horse country. Right, okay. Uh, a lot of horse, so horses are in charge. Horses or? are in charge. Yeah. Horses yeah. run so the, the show. The mayor is a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, yeah, Bojack Horseman is based on Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. The mayor is called Buttercup. Yeah. <laughs> And all the police are Clydesdales. Whoa. They're big. They're big. Yeah. Big, scary horses. So they attended different high schools, but both were varsity captains. Both made all state in their soccer teams or for the state soccer team. Uh, In their senior year, the two became local celebrities after a dramatic photo appeared in the Lexington Herald-Leader showing Lexington Catholic star goalkeeper Lipka and Tates Creek forward Reinhardt battling mid-air during a playoff game. They became local celebrities because of a photo showing them playing soccer. Whoa. So there's a lot going on in the town. (laughs) Hey, you're that soccer kid. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, that's the other soccer kid. (laughs) Whoa, you guys know each other in real life? Whoa. (laughs) I, assume... I can't wait to tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, do the photo. Do the photo now. Do it. <laughs> Reenact the photo. <laughs> do the thing. Do the thing. Okay. <laughs> I like to think that folk isn't just exaggerating. And they, like, they literally did start doing like, uh, you know, chat shows and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They had a booth at all the finest clubs. Uh, They're getting free food from the bakery. (laughs) In the autumn of 2003, Spencer Reinhardt was accepted into Transylvania Uni on an art scholarship and Warren Lipka was accepted at the University of Kentucky on a full athletic scholarship. The two universities were within a couple of kilometres of each other. So if they wanted to, they could still hang out and that sort of stuff. So we've got Lipka, class clown, lanky... Goalkeeper, that's not so relevant. And you got uh, Reinhardt, quieter, arty friend. Parents and he got the scholarship. Yeah, with the scholarship. They've actually both got scholarships. They both got, yeah, just for different things. Yeah, one for sport, one for art. Uh, I mean, you know, yin and yang, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine liking both. <laughs> not possible. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Reinhardt was keen on a career in graphic design and Lipka had vague ambitions to enter politics, apparently. Uh, but neither had a great time at uni, with uh, Reinhardt telling Falk, in all my art classes, I was the only guy, in with a bunch of girls who didn't have any idea what they wanted to do. All these girls I could draw better than when I was in sixth grade. Oh, yuck. Okay. <laughs> you suck. 
oh, I'm a young, uh, I'm a teenage boy and I'm in a class surrounded by girls. <laughs> what a nightmare. That sounds absolutely awful and that is the exact reason that I enrolled in drama. Yeah, I was just thinking that. You would have you would have been one of few boys in your course, I'm guessing, Dave. Yeah, you're goddamn right and it was very fun. <laughs> and Dave, I could draw better than around, all of them. Yeah, were you around girls that you could act better with when you were like six? <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a family t- uh, tap and ballet shows for my family since I was six, so I'm very advanced. Uh, These interviews with Falk are not too long after the heist, so they're still in their early 20s and I think I've seen interviews with them into their 30s and they do seem like better than that, like... And uh, at least Brian, They've matured. Brian Hart does does come across much better in the interview I saw with him when he was thirty than this one because that that line just made me, yeah, it just sounds like a an idiot. But it sounds like a a, a very young man. Yeah, you know, like yeah, it it sounds appro- kind of appropriate for the age he is when he's saying it. But it's still fun to take the piss oh, off. Oh, no doubt. But yes, it definitely makes it. Yeah, you kind of go. Yeah, you're a you're a young dickhead. Yeah, yeah. you're still figuring yeah. yourself out. <laughs> Which is totally true, and that is something that I do. Like in my head, I'm picturing these guys who are who are um, planning this heist. I'm thinking, I'm picturing them being like a bit older than that. But it's so weird to think of uh, 19, 20 year olds doing mm. something this um, full on, which is patronising, I suppose. Kids can, kids can make huge mistakes too. <laughs> yeah, in fact, they often do because they don't, they don't think consequences through quite as much. So Reinhardt wasn't enjoying his arts class with all these girls who uh... who couldn't draw, which obviously impacts him. <laughs> yeah, you know, because he can draw very well, so he's getting good marks. <laughs> but all these girls are doing terribly, and it's it's impacting me. How? Maybe How? Was there a group assignment where he's the one going, come on, let's get our heads in the game, we're going to draw this picture? Come on, girls, <laughs> let's draw some flowers. You love your little flowers. The <laughs> uh, so Lipka, on the other hand, the class clown, he was also going through a tough time early in uni. Uh, his parents were getting divorced and that was, you know, they were parents were not getting on. He wasn't really getting on with his parents. Um, his mum was soon to kick him out of home. Uh, and according to Folk, when not at soccer practice, he spent his time smoking pot, watching Comedy Central and reading German philosophy. <laughs> the big three. <laughs> uh, Lipke quit the University of Kentucky soccer team in his freshman year, meaning he forfeited his scholarship, though he remained enrolled, sort of, but uh, now he didn't have a, a way to pay for it. So that didn't last yeah. too long. Uh, around this time... He met someone, a shady type type of figure, who was earning good money in identity theft and uh, <laughs> and making fake IDs. And he recruited Lipka to start selling fake IDs for him in the university dorm rooms. Then uh, Lipka sort of went out on his own a little bit. He recruited another freshman, his old high school soccer teammate, Eric Borsak, to work <laughs> with him. Borsak, please call him his right name. Okay, Borsak, sorry. Borsak. Borsak would provide more of the technical help. He had the relevant software and equipment and would mock up the IDs. Uh, Lipka, I think, was more of, you know, he was the salesman and the, the, he had the gift of the gab, so to speak. Mm. By the end of the year, they were making money selling these fake IDs for 100 bucks a piece, as well as offering other similar identity tweaking services. 
uh, which they didn't go into the details of because I guess they were never busted for it and they didn't want to give it away. Uh, the two made great money together until an argument over cash split up the partnership. This mm. left Lipka's dodgy business in tatters without Borsuk's technical know-how. Yeah, money always gets between friends. Yeah, apparently two, you know? two grand went missing from a, from a drawer. Okay, that's a fair amount. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So this is when Lipka reconnected with his old mate Reinhardt, who had the graphic design skills. Did either of you ever have fake IDs? Uh, a couple of times to get into over-18 concerts, use my sister's friend's ID who had the same haircut as me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your sister's, and I was like, <laughs> no, Dave, I don't think anyone was buying that. Um, your sister's friend. Okay. Yeah, but to get into gigs, that's cute. Yeah. I never, I never did. I never really wanted to. But also it's less of a thing here because we can drink at 18 anyway. Yeah. You know, if you're already at college but you can't drink until you're 21, fucking everyone should have a fake ID. <laughs> yeah, you get them when you enrol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get your student ID, you get yeah, your key to your locker. <laughs> I thought, everyone's got a locker and here's your fake ID. Here's our seven passports for different countries with different names. Uh, Memorise <laughs> them. And a thousand dollars in five different currencies. <laughs> Man, I love when like Jason Bourne agent types open up like a little suitcase, yeah. or, and there's like all this different coloured money and passports. Love that. I, I, I was watching a video the other day. There's this. Uh, it's I think it's Wired do a series of a, a accent coach who picks apart different performances of accents, and I love him. I love. And that. they did yeah. they did another one recently with the a woman who was who used to be in charge of disguises at the CIA, and so she's sort of going with like plot points in movies and TV shows and stuff. And in like that scenario, she's like, "There's no magic box of passport." Like <laughs> they take they're, they're painstaking to make, and we don't just sort of have them in bulk, and you don't just have a, a safety deposit box full of cash. And I was like, "Oh, you're ruining what the illusion." What do you illusion. mean? But I mean, that is why I'm watching the video to ruin the illusion. <laughs> I mean, but where are you getting your passport from then? Your fake passport, or they don't well, get them? No, if you if you have to have one, they make it. Like for that case, and then it's probably destroyed or something. It's all made it's to order, just... Dave. Yeah, it's made to order. Thank There's you. There's not a warehouse, warehouse somewhere. <laughs> say it. Yeah, you don't just have some stockpiled and you're like, oh, yeah, well, who will I be today? It sounds to me like she's trying to throw us off the scent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe. Yes, Dave, 100%. Yeah. yeah. There's several lockers full of passports. <laughs> I know there is. <laughs> <laughs> I choose to believe there is. So Lipka lost his business partner in Borsuk. Uh, and this is when he decided to reconnect with Reinhardt with the graphic design skills and the art, mm. artistic skills. The two had drifted apart slightly since the beginning of the uh, school year. They were attending oh, the different universities. They were nearly a two kilometres apart. You know? yeah. <laughs> Pretty insurmountable sort of barriers in between their friendship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How would you even travel 2Ks? Like, I don't know. Unless there's a bus. Is there a bus or something they could get or like a... I looked at I, I, I looked it up on Google Maps. It estimates it as a twenty-three minute walk. So Oh yeah. no, you couldn't. No. You couldn't do it. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, yeah no sad. friendship is worth that. <laughs> sad to drift apart <laughs> for a twenty minute walk. And yeah. that really sounds like they could have used each other's support because they were individually hating school. Um yeah. maybe that would it would have been good to talk to each other. And I guess that's what happened because when they reconnected uh and Lipka suggested getting involved in this fake ID business, Reinhard jumped at the opportunity. 
Uh, when the two were hanging... Did hang he it- uh, jump up and reenact that photo? Yes. <laughs> the goalkeeper. They did one last time. Because <laughs> obviously there was a crowd milling about. <laughs> hey, it's the soccer guy! <laughs> <laughs> I thought they'd never be together again. <laughs> uh, so when they were... When the two were hanging around together, Reinhard let Lipka know about an orientation tour of the Transy campus that freshmen undertook, which took in their library's collection of rare books and manuscripts. He told them of the John James Audubon work and how they were told on that tour that another copy of it sold for millions of dollars. 8.8 million to be exact. Although I think um, Reinhardt remembered it as 12 million. So oh, he's already disappointed with eight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Only eight million. Ugh. I'm broke. <laughs> Ugh, throws it in the bin. Lipka, as they discussed, Lipka, Lipka wondered to Reinhardt, what kind of security is around the collection? Oh, boy. And according to Folk, between studying for his first semester's finals, working out and painting, Reinhardt made time to scope out the special collections section of the Transy Library reporting back to Warren Lipka uh, weeks later that there was zero security other than an old lady named BJ and having to sign a fucking book. That's a quote. I'm honestly not sure. BJ's in her, like, 50s, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, I know. To, she's not an old I, lady I guess at all. to a 20-year-old maybe. Kids these days. To me, she's a youngster. Yeah. Uh, by hitting the ball back into Warren's court, Lipka's court, Reinhardt thought he would keep that thrilling flicker of criminality burning for a bit longer while fully expecting there to be an insurmountable obstacle somewhere down the road. Even if they did steal the books, for example, how would they ever sell them? I love that he, he's looking for an insurmountable obstacle for this uh, big heist, but he's so good at finding insurmountable obstacles. Nearly two kilometres walk. <laughs> yeah. I, oh. But he underestimated his mate as Lipka was busy working out how to make it all happen. He'd been in contact with uh, his shady figure friend who gave him the fake ID idea in the first place and inquired about how he might be able to sell some rare artwork and his contact hooked him up with a guy in New York. Folk explains, After several phone calls, Warren managed to arrange a meeting in New York. The contact, who identified himself only as Barry, stipulated that Lipka had to bring $500 in good faith money. Late one Thursday afternoon in mid-February, the two friends bought a bag of weed and drove the 700 miles to Manhattan in Reinhardt's Acura Legend. It's about a 12-hour drive. They checked into the Hilton Hotel in Midtown with Lipka signing in under Harry Balsani, a name backed up with one of their fake Kentucky driver's licenses, and they paid in cash. Having seen their fair share of heist movies, they knew how dangerous it was to leave a paper trail. The meeting was scheduled for the next morning on the southern edge of Central Park near the Plaza Hotel. Barry described himself as an older man with a long ponytail and said he'd be wearing a green scarf. The meeting initially hit a snag. (laughs) I mean, he's already pretty distinct looking, an older man with a ponytail, but just in case, I'll be wearing a scarf. He gets there and there's all these old men (laughs) with ponytails (laughs) in multicoloured scarves. (laughs) Three different shades of green. Which shade? Why oh didn't you say God. which shade of green? Is it emerald? <laughs> lime. No. Is it lime? <laughs> the meeting initially hit a snag when Barry was put off by the boy's youth. But uh, he said he put on a deeper voice and after an awkward back and forth, Lipka finally handed the man the $500. In exchange, <laughs> Barry slipped him an email address with instructions to sign off any communication 
with the name Terry. <laughs> so he met him and he's like, oh, hello, sir, I'm the guy. And the guy's like, you're a bit of a kid. And then he's like, oh, I mean, hello. Hello, oh. nice to meet you, sorry. I had a little frog in my throat just before, but here's a, here I am, a normal man. I'm a big boy. I mean a, bi- a, I mean a little boy. man. I mean a normal man. I don't need my mummy to cut off the crusts on my sandwiches. Not anymore. I cut my own crusts. But- is that, so is that what, sort of what you meant that he put on a deep voice after the guy questioned That's what it him? sounds like. He, I, or at, at the very least, the guy sort of looked at him like, oh, you're a bit young, before he'd said anything maybe, and he went, oh, now oh, okay. I'll put on the deep voice. No, no, don't worry about me. Yeah. So this is this is before they've done anything. They've just gone and met someone and given him $500. Yeah. These kids are fucking idiots. And then that means they've got his email now. So if they ever want to sell anything, they just have to email this email and say, love Terry. Yeah. Well, they don't have to okay. say love Terry. They could say, regards. regards Terry, kind regards Cheers. Terry. Cheers. Fuck off, Terry. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be, be a roll no, of fuck you, Terry. <laughs> so they've paid $500 to get a man's email address. Yeah. Good faith money. Is that a refundable okay. deposit? <laughs> I don't believe it is. <laughs> If we don't sell any artwork through you, will I get my $500 back? I think it's the kind of thing where they gave him the money and he, and he, if he had a second thought about it, he's like, actually, the guy would have said, what money? That kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah. yeah, what are you yeah, talking about? yeah. They drove back to Lexington and set up a Yahoo email account and, mm-hmm. as instructed, sent off an email to the address Barry slipped them. In it, they said they had some rare books to sell and signed it off as Terry. So far, so good. Perfect. Then they played the waiting game. Ah, uh, yes. But the waiting game sucks, so they played Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> <laughs> Great game. <laughs> a week later, they received a reply. It said if they wanted to sell books, they'd have to do it in person, which was fine. Only problem, in person meant Amsterdam. Okay. Uh. So the ponytail man, he left that detail out, that this email he was giving him was for some... Book buyers in the Netherlands. Great. Right. Okay. So these kids who don't have a lot of money, one of whom's just lost his scholarship, so obviously they, they're looking for some cash. They've just spent $500 to get an email address. They stayed at the Hilton, paid in cash, and bought a big <laughs> old bag of weed beforehand as well, which can't have been all that cheap. And now they need to steal these things and somehow get them to Amsterdam, which I would assume would be flying to Amsterdam because you're not just going to post it, are you? Yeah, that's right. And then how are you going to pack it and fly to Amsterdam? Like, this is a bad plan. Yeah. Uh, that's just my take early uh, on. That's my well, take. Well, let's see how it ends up. This could all end up really well. They're probably <laughs> yeah. still living it up in the Caribbean, which was one of their plans if, they, if it all came off. Um, what do you mean? You're just going to fuck off to the Caribbean? Yeah. What? I would. You're like 20 and you don't explain to your mum why you've moved to the Caribbean <laughs> and never coming back. <laughs> oh, boy. This is dumb. Anyway, they were excited by the response that they had to go to Amsterdam until it dawned on them that they would have to travel with a passport and their rule was let's not leave a paper trail and that gets hard mm. with a passport. I mean, they've... They've already left a digital trail by emailing this dude, so... But from, yeah. a, from a made-up email address, you know, it's, it can't be connected back to them. They sent the email from a public computer yeah, and right. all that sort of stuff. 
Okay, so, that's all right. That's good. So they've been pretty clever about it so far, you know, in some ways, I guess. Jess has also picked a few <laughs> holes. <laughs> Why are you defending them? They have, you know, they've made some pretty good decisions. I think. I don't know. <laughs> You've read the whole thing. You know how this ends. <laughs> You're going, no, nah, no, nah, but good on them. I reckon. Well, uh, some of the dumber things they do are yet to come, okay? So I'm like, fantastic. oh, you're picking at these things. <laughs> Just you wait. I can't. I can't wait. So, yeah, so they realised that they were going to have to probably get a fake passport and to Reinhardt they're like, this is the insurmountable problem. We've had fun dreaming about this, but we're done now. Of course... Lipka was undeterred. He again went to his shady mentor, mate, and he let them know that he needed to leave the country and they needed the documentation to do it. Uh, he said that they had the skills to make fake licenses, but a passport was a little bit of a stretch for them. So they were told to wait a couple of days and it would cost them two and a half grand each. Uh, to cut costs, they decided only Lipka would go. And it was as easy as that. They got their passport and return flights a few what? days later. And Reinhardt drove Lipka to the airport and Falk takes up the story from here. Lipka touched down at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport on a Saturday morning in early March 2004. He took a cab to the Dam Square, an old hippie hangout in the centre of the city he'd read about on the internet. He scored a joint before checking into a hole in the wall and falling asleep. First thing you do in Amsterdam, you don't check in... (laughs) You go straight, hello, can I have some marijuana, please? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, all right. They probably they would do uh, that on the pillows, like instead of after-dinner mints at the hotel. Just a little joint. <laughs> after-dinner joint, love it. So I've got a menu. Is this, post, is this post heist? Like he's already got the book and he's no, already flying to Amsterdam? No, no, this is, this is all pre. We haven't got up to that. So is this to set up a meeting or something? Like why is he going early? Uh, yeah, this is for a meeting. Right. What? But he's also playing it like he's got the books. So he's just making sure before they go through the heist that he has a way of selling them. That is kind of clever, uh, you know, I think. Clever, but also you're dealing with some pretty serious yeah. people yeah, yeah. and telling him you've got something that they you don't have. Yeah, exactly. And you're spending money you don't have to fly there as well. Oh, but it'll be oh. easily covered by the yeah, yeah, 8.8 million for the big heavy books they'll definitely be able to carry and others. Far out. Also, is it, I didn't think that the passport was going to work and it obviously has. Can you still get a passport for like a fake one for $2,500? Yeah, that feels like a bargain, right? I guess mates' rates used to work with him. Yeah. Like do they actually, I didn't think you could actually fake a passport like that. How naive of me. Ever well, since Jess told me about the Jason Bourne video. I, my first passport I got in around that time and it was definitely more primitive than the ones now. It didn't have the chip in it and it didn't have mm, all sorts of things. Right. So I imagine it would be way harder to do now. Yeah, of course. But 2004, yeah. maybe that was right at the end of this being possible. Uh, wow. Yeah. But I'm, I'm no passport expert. I should put that on the table. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. I did have follow-up passport-related <laughs> questions, but I will leave them. Uh, <laughs> eyes have to be open, no glasses or hat in the photo. <laughs> I look like no I can't. What, mine expires next year and I'm so happy because <laughs> it's a dog shit photo. <laughs> I think that's the rule. It has to be a dog shit <laughs> yeah, photo. Yeah, you can't look good. You can't. If you, do, if you I... look good in that, then. I mean, Dave probably does. 
Dave looks good. Yeah, well, I, I had my, my first attempt was rejected because I went to an old man at a chemist mm-hmm. who looked like he was older than photography was. <laughs> he was so old. That's old. And he's standing there shaking his hand while he's like oh, taking no. the photo. He printed it out. I thought I looked quite good. I was like, mm. mate, thanks so much. You've really gone above and beyond. I sent it You've really the... captured my essence. Yeah, thank you photo. so much. Yeah, I shouldn't have questioned I your, your methods. You obviously <laughs> knew what you were doing. But then when I sent it to the passport office, a few days later they got back to me saying that it wasn't good enough quality, that the photo wasn't good. So I had to go and get like, another no, one. And you're like, no, that's my head. No. <laughs> and then another one ca- came back. Basically, I think their problem was that I looked too hot. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was their problem. They hate that. Yeah, they're very insecure, the people at the passport head office. <laughs> very insecure. Oh, mm. check out this doll face. Check out this hottie. You definitely, there's no reason you can't smile. They're just like, just don't let them. Surely it's more information of anything. You know, you're showing your teeth. Yeah. I've got them. I've got all my teeth. Yeah, that's right. When you die, they always check your bloody dental records for matching, don't they? Yeah. I mean, from TV I've seen, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, watched a wide where, 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 video that debunked that. <laughs> where do they get dental records from, though? What does that mean? They check your dental records. Yeah, I think the dentist keeps records. I mean, I got an x-ray of my teeth last month. That'll be on file somewhere. Right. So they just sort of, they would go, well, this body still has its wisdom teeth and we can see that yeah. Jess had hers out so it can't be her. Oh, he'd be a good or detective, Or the killer Jess. somehow put them back in. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Whoa. That's and the honestly, theory I'm going they were with. causing pain. They were causing pain. I don't want them back in there. Yeah. Serial killer, okay? There's a reason I had them surgically removed, yeah. okay? Ow, stop, this hurts. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, so that would, sorry. That did get the cops off the scent, though. So, you know, in essence, quite a wise move by the killers. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting. But he accidentally puts the left-hand side on the right-hand side. <laughs> And that's how they know. And they're like, well, this could be not many people. How many people are born with their left-hand wisdom tooth on the (laughs) right-hand side? (laughs) Uh, Okay, Uh, so... How did we get onto this? (laughs) I'm trying. it was passports. Oh, yeah, fake passports. Yes. He's in Amsterdam. So he's in Amsterdam. He's at a joint, going to bed. Uh, The next morning, this is still folk, the next morning, all nerves... He left for the meeting site, a cafe within walking distance. Probably needs distance. another joint then. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's going to a cafe. I think they, they'd probably sort him out there. Cafe with a K? They'll sort him out. Uh, he was told to look for a bearded, heavy set man in a solid blue sweater. When Warren arrived. What colour scarf? No, no scarf. See, that was, he should have just said, I'm the guy without a scarf. <laughs> Everyone else <laughs> got all these different shades of green scarves on. <laughs> Trust me, everyone in FC has got a scarf. I'll, I'll, I'll really stand out. <laughs> so when Lipka arrived, he saw a man fitting that description seated with three other men. He's like, oh, that wasn't part of the plan. Undeterred, he introduced himself as Terry, firmly shaking hands before sitting down. Like Barry, which I'm starting to think wasn't even that guy's real name. No. <laughs> like Barry, the men were immediately put off by Warren's youth, Lipka's youth, and even more so by the fact that he hadn't brought any of the books with him. They're like, what's this meeting for? I thought you were going to sell us some books. Uh, He also didn't have any photos of the books, nor photocopies, documentation of any kind, or even the slightest ability to intelligently discuss the books. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I've given you a list of names of books. What more do you need to know? So he hasn't done any research on them at all. (laughs) They knew he was wrong when he couldn't pronounce the author's name. Well, him and me both. (laughs) You know, one of those big Ephelum folders. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a double F alarm. Am I saying that it's right? a double F alarm. So can I have eight million dollars now, please? <laughs> you give me the money first. And I'll send the books. Uh, you give me the money now. It's a show of good faith. Uh, the meeting lasted no more than fifteen minutes. Long flight over. From... <laughs> That's not good. That's not but good. still, it was a turning point because the men explained to Warren. Well, Lipka, that a crucial step of selling the books, stolen or otherwise, is that it needed to be appraised by a legitimate auction house. And that's something he didn't realise. He's like, I thought I'd just sell it to him, but even dodgy buyers. And they're like, if you can do that step, and I think they were probably thinking, he's not going to do that step, we'll never hear from this guy yeah. again. <laughs> he's full of shit. But um, they said, if, if you can do that, then you got yourself a buyer. So he's like, sick, one step closer. I'm fascinated by the ethics of the auction house because if somebody comes in with books like that you'd be like and they're like a 20 year old you'd be like oh you've attacked you've obtained these in a not so good way so what are you supposed to do just just appraise them and go about you like what are the what's the ethics there well we'll uh get to talk about that soon (laughs) oh man (laughs) sorry no i love it love how you love how your brain works bob yeah, I've had three hours sleep. Hey, Bob, your brain is your value. Thank you. Whoa. Sorry if that was a bit. If that was a bit off. <laughs> no, it was just a bit touching. <laughs> a little bit unexpected. I just I needed to hear that today. Bit so rude. Bit rude thank to her about. heart, but anyway. <laughs> oh yeah. It knows what it did. <laughs> <laughs> My heart's no good. So now they knew. All they had to do was get the books, get them <laughs> appraised. Get them, then smuggle them out of the country to Amsterdam, and then they could sell them. So they were feeling good. Things were happening. (laughs) What? I mean, honestly, they're the same steps away from success as we are (laughs) away from success for this plan. Yes. (laughs) But nothing is happening. But now (laughs) they and we both know these are the steps. They didn't even know the steps first. Dave, they walked so we could (laughs) run. I know, that's right. You know, now we know. We know the steps. Don't go to Amsterdam without the stuff to yeah. sell. Gotcha. And also or at least some pickies of yeah. it, you know? Or a vague <laughs> idea about them. Yes, know what it is you plan to steal. Yes. Do you reckon as he walked away from the meeting, the three men were just laughing about him? Like, what Definitely, a fucking yes. idiot. Yeah. Or, yeah, I wonder, depending on the kind of characters they were, they were either laughing or they're going, should we take him out? <laughs> yeah. I don't like that he knows who we are. <laughs> exactly. They did not expect to ever hear from no, him again. I no, I don't reckon. Um, so when Lipka returned to tell Reinhardt the good news, they were excited. <laughs> what good they news? They had a buyer. Something that they oh thought would be difficult to find for stolen books worth millions of dollars. But they found it. They found a buyer. So that was really, that was, you know, ticking off one box. It just created a new box or two that they had to tick now. <laughs> uh, they had to get them appraised. And like I say, they also had to get them. Yes. <laughs> a bit, that feels that like a That is one of the biggest boxes, I reckon. Yeah. You're going to re- need a real thick marker to tick that box. Mm. Lipka got straight into researching online and he settled on Christie's in New York. <laughs> <laughs> no, the number one Google result. He's like, well, this this seems fine. It's <laughs> Probably the most famous the most, and notable most fame. uh, auction Certainly. house in the world, right? There's Christie's London, Christie's New York. It's an old, ever like I don't know anything about this world, and I've heard of Christie's. Oh wow. my god! So the plan is to go to Christie's, get them appraised, and then say, "Oh, sorry, I'm not going to sell them here." 
I'm going to take them away now and then take them to Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so this is, what, this is what they thought. They thought a couple of freshmen wander in to Christie's in New York and not raise any eyebrows. So Reinhardt is sort of like he's – Warren Lipka is like he's a wild man, all in, gets excited, doesn't necessarily think things through all that much. Reinhardt's a little bit more contemplative and but still gets dragged along by his, his mate. Uh, can I just quickly just say, so is Lipka, is he the one that the parents were like, I don't want you to be friends? Yeah. Reinhardt's so parents, they were yeah, right. they probably were a bit right. Yeah, <laughs> They were right 15 years <laughs> earlier. Okay. okay. Honestly, your parents usually are. My best friend, and I say that in inverted commas, in primary school, um, by the time we got to grade four, my mum had a chat to the teachers and said, can you put them in different classes next year? And then I was very sad that me and my friend weren't in the same class anymore. But then, weirdly, I started to enjoy school oh, a little wow. more and um, do a little better. And turns out she was just a, a bully. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. And mum was like, she's not too good for you. So your parents are often right oh, about this so stuff. that's so good. Cheers, mum. Good on you, mum. Annie, what a lady. She's <laughs> the best lady. Sorry, I just get really emotional again today. <laughs> she actually reminds me a little bit of... BJ Gooch. Yeah. Oh. Same kind of Although, vibe. Dave, your mum's the librarian, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm. So maybe... My mum loves books. Maybe BJ Gooch is all of our mums. Yeah. Oh, now I'm even more protective of her. I would I would kill for any of our mums. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon. I would. Thanks, Jess. I'd take a bullet. Wow. You'd kill or be killed for any of our mums. Oh, I wouldn't die. Oh, you take, like, take a bullet to the shoulder <laughs> or something. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, if my aim is good when I'm directing my body in front of the bullet. <laughs> Not the heart. And shoulder. <laughs> right arm, thank you. You're like you're seeing the bullet midair. Is that what you think? And choosing not to <laughs> yeah, avoid yeah. the bullet, you're putting your shoulder into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, know, if I have the choice of moving so that it doesn't hit my heart right. or something or, or an organ but maybe grazes my arm but saves a mum. Yeah. I've, okay, I regret bringing I lose it an arm, <laughs> but I save a mum. Beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Wow. Anyway, later recounting to Falk, Reinhardt said, and this is of the idea, uh, Lipka's idea of going to Christie's, I was kind of sceptical, but the way I rationalised it was, it's the biggest auction house. <laughs> if we go in there, they're not going to suspect that we stole these because no one would go to Christie's with stolen books to get them appraised. <laughs> It's so dumb that they'd be like, "Wow, this isn't. This is so dumb." Come in, come yeah. on. So, who's this stupid? It's the hiding in plain sight kind of idea, yeah. which is my favourite way to hide. Um, but yeah, this is. He goes on to say, "That's how we did a lot of stuff. Like we would smoke weed directly under the security cam- camera on the Transy campus, park a car right underneath it, and then smoke for like an hour. We figured the more obvious we were, the less likely we would be suspected." Okay. Oh, I don't like these boys. <laughs> I don't. I understand they've grown into well, men now and they're maybe a little more mature, <laughs> but still I don't like them. Yeah, well, you know, they're more mature. They were coming from a certain level. But, you know, what, I'm trying not to be too judgmental either way, but, yeah, it's, if they if they didn't fuck up BJ Gooch, I think, yeah. you know, it would all feel pretty harmless, but unfortunately... They traumatise an innocent woman at the yeah. heart of all this. And so it makes it, every time I start to think, I'm like, oh, 
Yeah, they were just dumb boys. It's like, oh, it's a pretty, you know, it's tricky. You don't want to, like, go, you made a dumb mistake early in your life. You should be hated forever. But you're also like, I mean, you did kind of make this woman's life a lot harder. And there's no point to what they're trying to do. You know, it's just for shits and gigs. That I don't like either. Well, something they talk about a lot is that it's, they're trying to, they feel like their lives are mundane and they're trying to break out from that and try to do something. Gooch explains it pretty well uh, in a film that she's briefly interviewed in. She says they they wanted to do something extraordinary but they didn't want to work for it. Mm. This is, I mean, it's yeah, so okay. much work but it's still like somehow it's the, doing it the easy way but it's so much ridiculous work at the same time. It's, imagine, yeah, it's, it's not easy You hear these stories often you go, imagine if you put all this effort into something more positive. Yeah, imagine if you just, like, were nice to the dumb girls in your art class. Maybe you could make some connections and, uh, you know, just connect nah. with other humans. Maybe you could tra- just travel. You've already flown to Amsterdam. Just have a look around, <laughs> you know. You don't have to steal some art for it. Matt, you stay neutral, but I'm going to okay. judge the crap out of Dave, that. That's all I right. want you full positive. <laughs> I think that they're great young men. Yes. They're, I mean, what what's better, a book being locked up in some sort of glass cabinet or should it be free <laughs> to be sold to some guy in like Amsterdam? Like the birds depicted yeah. in it. Send them exactly. free. Let it fly. And then I would assume that man in Amsterdam is going to free the book back into its natural habitat. <laughs> a library. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Be free, throws it into a river. <laughs> yeah. I did it. I'm a hero. <laughs> Everyone's like, no. <laughs> He's just an eccentric billionaire yeah. who just keeps buying expensive books and throwing them into rivers. He believes that's where they all came from. That's where books come from. Look it up. Read a book. <laughs> oh, you can't. Throw it into the river. <laughs> What's that you got there? Book? <laughs> Anyway, what started as a wild idea between a couple of high teenagers was starting to look like it was maybe a goer. No, it's not. But in this planning stage, they realised they would need more people involved to pull it off. So Lipka called his old business partner, Eric Borsak. Oh, Borsak. They met up and made up at a pizza bar. Although it's interesting with these interviews. So they've been interviewed about this a few times since, and the details change a bit. It's been made into a film as well. And. Oh, so uh, in this article, closer to the time, which makes me sort of trust it more. Uh, they Lipka said they met up at a pizza bar, but in the film, it's talked about like it's a it's a Japanese restaurant, I think, or it, it's another kind of cuisine, anyway. Um, okay, but it's an eating it's a different. It's not a pizza bar, though. Yeah, that's Hollywood for yeah, you. Really zhuzhing it up. <laughs> pizza, mm, it's been done. <laughs> what about? Japanese. Oh, I like. Is that the sushi one? Yeah, yeah. Let's go there. Was it sushi? <laughs> the sushi one. Might yeah? not have been sushi. Anyway, now I'm doing what he's done. I've, I've added a new cuisine to the list. <laughs> tacos. Everyone loves tacos. Uh, so they made up, and then Lipka started uh, pitching him the book heist plan. Or in the movie, as they reenacted, he says, "You got to tell me you are you in or out." And Borsuk's like, "In or out of what?" And he's like. I'm not telling you until you tell me if you're in or out. He's like, I need need to know a little more than this. And anyway, he ends up being in and he tells him the heist plan. Oh, he's an idiot. Uh, 
Which, and the, basically the plan is, hey, we've got buyers for these books. We just got to get the books. <laughs> uh, they considered stealing them under the cover of darkness, uh, but I think Borsett came in and he said, oh, the likelihood of alarms being tripped makes under the cover of darkness harder. It would be smartest to do it during business hours, you know, yet again, hidden in plain sight, um, which meant they would have to wait till after the summer break. The summer break was spent dreaming of what they would do with all that money. Folk writes that they were, whenever the three of them hung out, Lipka would frequently conjure up fantasies through billowing clouds of marijuana smoke of post-heist life for them in the Mediterranean, complete with sleek catamarans and topless women. I said, um, I said the Caribbean or Caribbean, but it was actually the Mediterranean. See, I'm doing it. I'm doing what they did. And you know what, too? Um, none of those topless women can draw better than him. <laughs> <laughs> There's an audition. <laughs> He's like, I'm not hanging out with these topless them. women. The day he finds uh, a woman who can draw as well as him uh, is the day he meets his wife. <sighs> That's beautiful. You know, that's the perfect woman and she doesn't exist. <laughs> He's that good. He's that good, you guys. He's the best artist on planet Earth. He's the best artist in the galaxy. Which is, I mean, you'd think that he could make it without stealing stuff, but sadly he can't. He can't because the world isn't ready for his <laughs> art. For someone that talented. <laughs> We're all like, what? Because we don't get yeah. it. Mere mortals. We don't get it. They Lipka and Borsak lived together along with a third uni student uh, acquaintance, Chaz Allen II. That's right. I was wondering where Chaz would come in. Allen and Borsak also ran a lawn care company together the previous year. Uh, Chaz seemed to be like a bit of a go-getter. The way I read it, maybe he's comes from the wealthiest family of the three of them, as well as... Um, uh, being their housemate, he also uh, co-owned the house with his parents. So okay. he oh, was right. kind of like their landlord and housemate. I, and they're 20. I forgot that these guys don't come from poor families. I mean, I'm not saying their parents are all millionaires and, and so, you know, but yeah, they're okay. No, that's totally what it seems like. I think they've got a fine they're support not, network. not at all. I don't think they're like loaded but they are yeah. they're described as middle class. So I think, I think they're, you yeah. know, comfortable. Uh, according to the Herald Leader, Alan co-owned uh, CTA Investments with his parents, the company. The business owned three Lexington properties, including the Beaumont House. And according to court records, uh, they were valued at about half a million bucks. I, I would love to go to the American property market. I feel whenever I see uh, like the, those sort of shows where they're buying a house in America, I'm like, feels like I could almost afford a house over there. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, Matt? You know how much I love house yes. hunters. Uh, I was at work overnight and House Hunters was on TV, and I was like, "Fuck yes!" And it was House Hunters International. I was like, "Yes, love this because it's often people moving to different parts of the world." So yeah, it's, it's the it's Spain ones are always great. These I people... love the ones where they go into a sunny place. Yeah, and it's like even Island Hunters is very good. So I was I was excited for something a bit exotic, but it was actually a young couple moving from a place in northern Western Australia to Perth, and so they were just and they were just looking at <laughs> suburban Jeez, houses. Is that... Red so bricks. In what way like, is that international? I guess it's international to people not in Australia, but 
I thought international. Yeah, but they weren't even moving yeah, internationally. The point is, the house hunters are moving internationally. I thought they're running yeah, out of that's ideas. That's what I Jess. thought. Now, were they like uh, Western Australia is so big? It's basically it's, moving. How did countries. you describe it last week, Jess? It's fucking huge. <laughs> it is fucking huge. It's honestly so fucking big. The Herald Leader also says that Alan worked for his father's real estate company as well, according to the financial affidavit. His father, Tom Allen, is a part owner of Thompson and Riley, a prominent Main Street auctioneer. And in the past, Charles Allen had also done appraisals for his father, according to court papers filed in connection to his father's 2003 divorce. So maybe you have a few skills in the old appraisal world. Right. Let me just say, they go underutilized. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, so they're still going to Christie's. Fuck. Dumb. So these kids are just absolutely bored. They they just want some kind of adventure. That, they just want that a is, thrill. That does feel like it's a big part of it, yeah. Just go skydiving or something. <laughs> go to a theme park. That's they a bit of fun. They did that for their birthdays. He'd be like, let's go skydiving, but we'll land in a bank <laughs> vault. We'll take everything <laughs> and then we'll bungee jump out. <laughs> uh, when told of the plan, Alan derided the others as deluded potheads. But once fully aware of all their prep work and the dollar value of the heist, oh, Alan was in all their prep it, work. <laughs> Alan was in as well. So it sounded like no. no Alan. You Jess, walk away. Come on, Chaz. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Everything's going really well. It really it's, sounds it's like things are going breeze. well for Chaz. I mean, he, it sounds like he was no. born with a head start, and he was making the most of it. He was yes. starting up little couple, yeah. like he had his little lawn care business. And other things. Yes, you're running businesses, you co-own your house, you've got your dad's business that you're learning stuff about. Like you're doing fine, Chaz. You're doing very well. For someone your age, you're fucking killing And he's it, my getting friend. involved in a big crime with people he calls deluded potheads. <laughs> fucking hell, these kids are so bored. It just, yeah. He, uh, anyway, um, the other three don't like him that much either. So... The uh, interview with Falk, he was the only one that declined to be involved. So a lot of what I'm talking about is from the other three's perspective more than his. Right, and yeah. it does sound like he he, be, he was at the start and remained the odd one out of the foursome. Okay. Uh, he, was, he got pretty frustrated with them the whole way through. God, I was frustrated with him from the yeah, first Yeah, I think sentence. he sort of might have lived that the whole time as well. Like, guys, this doesn't yeah. make sense. You're doing this the dumb You're way. So stupid. And, yeah. But he still went along with it. I mean, that's the thing. So you sort of say, oh, yeah. uh, those maybe Reinhard got involved with Lipka and that was bad for him. But it's like he he did go along with it. He, you know, mm. they they're adults. Yeah, this is they've made their own decisions. They're just dumb yeah. decisions. <laughs> From me, a mature yeah. woman. <laughs> I was a. Re- I mean, I've always been a bit of a go with the flow guy. So I'd uh, I'd hate to I'd hate to think. But I also yeah, I feel like I probably. I probably Matt, would not have done this, I don't think. You know I don't like to sort of support you or build you up on the podcast um, and I do it very little in real life, <laughs> but you are a go-with-the-flow guy but the good kind um, and you're also smart. So I'm, I don't I honestly believe you would not like, <laughs> You would not be involved in this. I'd like to think this. I wouldn't be. You might enjoy the conversation and once, they, once you realise they were serious, you'd go, 
I've just got to go get something from I just the slip park, out of their lives forever. Yeah, you would just slip out and I'd not just leave, their calls. I'd leave and I would all my stuff in my room. I'd move out <laughs> under the cover of darkness. <laughs> just non-confrontation. Um, but you people are fucking idiots, so I'm just going to go. So uh, as the school year went back after the break, the group went to work surveilling the library and its staff, making detailed maps and taking notes of the librarian's routines. So they'd sit in their cars or on the roofs around and go, all right, librarian number two has left for the day again. And they just, they'd keep these diaries day after day. And would they go into the library? Uh, some would be in, especially Reinhardt, who's the only one who actually goes to this university. So That's Reinhardt's right, yeah. uh, a trancy student. The other three go to the uni up the road, which is an insurmountable distance away. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're they're all in there. Uh, even Reinhardt even does another tour of the by himself this time of the rare books room. So he's really scoping it out. Okay. He's drawing the map, and obviously that's his skill set as well. And according to Folk, they climbed onto dorm roofs where they'd stake out the library for hours at a time, marking down the comings and goings of the teachers, students, and security personnel. They also did considerable research on the internet using such key terms as auction house appraisals, stun guns, and Swiss bank accounts. Oh, my God. What are you doing? For inspiration. What is it about, what is it about Swiss bank accounts? I think they're just, because they, chocolate is such a stable commodity, I think Swiss bank accounts um, are a safe place to put money. <laughs> Yeah, okay, that does absolutely make sense and I feel a bit silly for I have no idea, but I assume it's like extradition treaties and stuff. Is it a non-extradition thing? Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Right. But I don't know exactly. It'd be something like, for some reason, it's less likely for your government where the money's been stolen from to be able to get it back. What a funny thing for your country to be famous for. Yeah, we ate and abet criminals. (laughs) White-collar criminals. Usually, so I looked it up because that is really intriguing. It's um the Swiss banking law of nineteen thirty four made it criminal for Swiss banks to disclose the name of an account holder. Right, so they're a lot more confidential. Ah, oh, okay. Folk also says, for inspiration, they watched heist movies like Ocean's Eleven and Snatch. So they were doing their research. <laughs> research. They were doing their research. <laughs> they're like, okay, we need to get a little guy who can do a backflip <laughs> into a box. <laughs> What for? I don't know, but, I mean, all the movies have it. I've watched one. (laughs) In late October, Lipka had written out a detailed plan and he presented it to the other three. Falk outlines the plan as follows. The day of the heist would be Thursday, December 16, one of the last days of final exams. The library would be nearly empty, he said. Lipka, under an alias, would make an appointment with Gooch for that afternoon to view the books they wanted to steal. The plan for the actual robbery sets out three distinct phases. Phase one. This begins at the bungalow where they live, where three of them live, when all four get into what Warren Lipka designated as the GTAV. This is what he calls it the whole way through. It's called the GTAV. Getaway vehicle? The go-to and away vehicle. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not getaway? <laughs> the go-to and away vehicle. The GTAV. That's what we're calling it. I make the rules. And he, it sounds like he insisted on calling it that. (laughs) People are like, hey, where's the van? Uh, uh, uh." (laughs) The GTAV. If the cops hear us, they'll know what you mean by van. If they hear GTAV, 
They'll be bored and stop listening. <laughs> the go-to and away mm. vehicle. What the fuck? It's a good question. Uh, another detail that you aren't aware of yet. Oh, no. They were all going to be disguised as old men. <laughs> Phase Brilliant. one ends when the GTAV is parked in front of the library and the four are in first position at the bottom of the stairs of the library. That's a direct quote from his plan. Phase two involves the actual theft and begins when Spencer Reinhardt takes his position at the upper floor window of a nearby athletic centre where he will be on lookout. Because Spencer was a transy student, he risked being recognised in the library, so he had to stay out. Lipka. Okay, that's the first yeah, clever thing smart. they've done. <laughs> uh, first of many, here we go. <laughs> okay. Now it's when they get real smart. Lipka and Chaz, Alan, go up to the rare book room on the third floor and Warren Lipka brings Gooch down hard and fast. That's another quote. That's what he. That's how he described it. Bring down Gooch hard and fast with a stun gun, making her a, quote, non-factor throughout the operation. Lipka and Alan then let Borsuk in and they begin wrapping the Audubons into bedsheets. These are the, the double heffalumps. And put any smaller books in backpacks. The three then take the staff-only elevator down to the bottom floor and escape at the west fire exit. Phase two ends when the loot, let's quote, loot, is loaded into the GTAV. <laughs> Still fun. Phase three is the escape, <laughs> which involves switching the GTAV for a second vehicle at a secret location, which, according to Warren Lipka and his plan, is used to transport the team and loot to temporary resting place, end quote. After the heist... Are they dead? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they've killed the books. They've all sh- shot the books and they bury them. They're never going to let him swim again. (laughs) After the heist, since it is certain that the stolen books will be entered into art theft databases within a week, they have to get the books appraised at Christie's in New York immediately. The group all agree to this great plan. Okay. Further demonstrating how inspired Lipka was by cinema, he allocated each member of the team a code name, much like in Reservoir Dogs. (laughs) Reinhard was Mr. Green. Lipka, Mr. Yellow, <laughs> Borsuk, Mr. Black, and Alan, Mr. Pink. Did he complain Just like about in the him? film, Alan <laughs> hated being called Mr. Pink. <laughs> You're kidding. That's a, that have to be Mr. Pink. There's so many colours. <laughs> he's definitely done it to fuck with him. I know he says... You haven't used blue. <laughs> Orange. I mean, Is there blue? There's no blue. No. Green, yellow, yeah. black, and pink. Yeah, it, it's just to fuck with Alan. He could have used any colour. But it's also funny, like, this is 2004 when boys would be offended by being associated with pink. Yeah. I think it feels like the world's moved on from that now. Like, you know, there used to be a running joke where people, like, um, people would be offended if you're like, oh, I like your pink shirt. It's not pink, it's salmon. You remember that? Yeah. Yep, yep. Now people, I've seen so many men wear pink and... uh, Oh. I love it. And men are like, it's not salmon, it's pink, <laughs> God damn it! I'm Mr. Pink. Can I be Mr. Pink? No, oh, I don't want to be Mr. Pink. Please, Green. he always gets to be Mr. Pink. No, you're Mr. Salmon. No, I'm pink! <laughs> <laughs> it's baby pink. Thank you very much. And it brings out my I'm willing eyes. to compromise pink, and we all get to be a different shade of pink. I'm hot pink. <laughs> I'm fuchsia. <laughs> I'm Power Ranger Pink, okay? (laughs) Each member had a different uh, job to do. Lipka locked in in the appointment with Christie's. 
using the Walter Beckman pseudonym. He also emailed BJ Gooch and confirmed their December 16 appointment. He used public phones and campus computers to avoid the correspondence being traced back to him. Lipka also ordered four stun guns online. Not sure why he needed four, but I guess it's good to have backups. Borsuk was in charge of organising the GTAV, which he did, organising <laughs> to borrow a friend's car. The friend was unaware of what was planned for it. What? So it's not even like a, a hired or stolen car no. or something? They, they, they switched the number plates on it though. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Because if you hire a car, like you've got to show ID and you've, yeah. Which so. they could do, but yeah, just um, then there, maybe there's CTV footage in the in that shop and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but yeah, uh, sorry, I was thinking that they were just going to use their friend's car and then their friend would get it arrested and he'd say, oh, no, <laughs> yeah, these four right. people borrowed it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, thanks for that. Oh, we'll no go arrest yeah, them. Oh, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you'd be like, oh, they shouldn't be far away. They've only just dropped it back. So <laughs> uh, he also organized this. Is Borsuk also organized the zip ties, bed sheets to cover the books, and the woolen cap that would cover Gucci's eyes. Right. Uh, being the artistic one, Reinhardt was in charge of disguises. He organized fake beards and other facial hair, grey wigs, and costume glue. According to Falk, on the morning of December sixteen. Lipka's carefully scripted plan began to unravel almost immediately. <laughs> uh, Borsuk couldn't get hold of his friend's car, leaving Chaz Allen to borrow a Dodge <laughs> Caravan that his mother was fortuitously selling the next day. The stun guns Lipka had ordered never arrived, so he drove around town uh, and finally found a Black Cobra stun pen to buy, and then he had uh, Reinhardt zap him and Borsuk to test it's knockout power. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> what are you doing? Did he get yeah, knocked I guess out? It worked well enough that they kept going with the plan. Ugh. When they arrived on campus in the replacement GTAV, still called a GTAV, they couldn't find a parking space anywhere near the library. <laughs> <laughs> They're just doing laps. Remembering are you how heavy the books are, it's so important that it's just as close as possible. <laughs> Dave, they're just gesturing yeah. out the window. To press. Are you following you anyone who's got keys you going? in their hand? You going to get? Oh yeah. no! Gonna go? No, are you straightening up? No worries. All good. Yeah. Oh, you're just putting stuff in your car. Okay. Yep. No worries. Yeah, no. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. So. Once they were inside the library, students stared at their ridiculous old man disguises. <laughs> <laughs> They would have looked so heaps yeah. of witnesses. And they look they they're the ones who are saying like the more obvious we are, yeah. the better. Like as in, you know, but now they're going, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> my name is Walter. Oh um, no, that's so bad. That's so everyone yeah, because you're right, Jess, with the witness thing. Like everyone's just like, Oh yeah, I remember those men exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched them for a while because I thought they the were The ridiculous odd. old man disguises were particularly ri- ridiculous because Reinhardt had to do a rush job on them because his art history final had run long. He, oh. had, he had an exam that, that day. They all did, which Fuck I think they me. thought, you know, this will put them off the scent even more, as if people doing their exams are also going to do a heist that same day. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> uh they also noticed a group of people lingering in the rare book room, which they weren't expecting. I mean, after all, Walter Beckman had an appointment. Um, so they're going mm. up the stairs. I want to call him Lipka. <laughs> He's going up to the stairs who's going to play the part of 
Beckman and he sees this big group of people in there, they quickly have a meeting in the library. They, what do we do? And they decide to abort. They all leave, jump in the GTAV, and they head back to the share house. What? Right. Gooch later said that she noticed the group in their costumes and just assumed it was theatre students fooling around. They looked so ridiculous. They're just like, oh, they're just goofing around. It's the end of the <laughs> end of semester or whatever. Lipka called Gooch to apologise for missing the meeting and rescheduled for the next day. Apparently his excuse was, sorry, I was out of town on business. Oh, my that's God. An, that's something an old, <laughs> an old man would say. Yeah, it's so funny. Oh, sorry, I was out of town on business. I mean, he was about to walk into the meeting with hastily glued on facial hair. <laughs> Far out. So, but anyway, now he's rescheduled for the next day and they rev- revised the plan and they scrapped the old man disguises, uh, deciding they'll only wear, you know, the winter clothes instead. They decided also that only Lipka and Borsuk would enter the library. Lipka would go in as Beckman for the meeting, then call Borsuk when he was ready for them to start hauling the books out of there, basically when he'd taken care of BJ. Of business. Um, And then that left Alan II as the GTAV driver. Uh, So he he was sitting in the van. They had to get it all done by 12.30, this is the following day, as Alan had to get the Dodge Caravan back to his mum in time for her to sell it. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, obviously, his mum did not know about it. So it couldn't be like, Mum, the heist went long. And what about, so how are they going to get to New York real quick after uh, Well, they've, they've got other cars as well. They just didn't want to use their own cars for, for this part of it. Uh, gotcha. On top of that, Reinhardt and Borsuk had to go to their exams in the early afternoon as well. I love. Uh, I think Borsuk's exam was tennis, he and he told Falk, he's exam. like, "Oh, it's actually harder than I was expecting." There was all these trivia questions about tennis. Dude, <laughs> 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 wasn't expecting this. How many times has Pete Sampras won Wimbledon? <laughs> I want to go to this university. He had a yeah, tennis exam. Yeah, no, I've exam. never heard of that as well. But that's pretty fun. University tennis exam. Wow, I have a degree <laughs> in tennis. <laughs> uh, on what sounds like a spur-of-the-moment decision, and you'll remember this from earlier, oh, no. Lipka bleached his hair with the thought it would give him extra anonymity. Remember how one of the heisters at the start had bleached yeah. blonde hair? That was because Lipka, at the last minute, decided to bleach his hair. Oh, my God. So at 11am on the 17th of December, things got off to a much smoother start. Alan scored the perfect parking spot for the GTAV. <laughs> and then <laughs> someone was just backing out. Yeah. Then Lipka right out the front. He whacked on the indicator. Shotgun, that's mine. That is that's my mine. spot. And uh, Lipka went up uh, for the meeting as Beckman and he got there bang on time. The next bit, you know, we already talked about it at the start of the episode. Lipka knocks out Gooch with the stun pen and Borsuk ties her up with the zip ties and covers her eyes with the woolen cap. And it's around this time that uh Lipka said, Quit struggling, BJ. Do you want to feel more pain? Oh, my God. Falk takes the story from here. Once Warren had pulled... Warren Lipka, sorry, had pulled the cap over Gooch's eyes, the two laid a bed sheet on the ground and began piling on the seven Audubon folios they intended to steal, which was the four volumes of Birds of America plus three volumes from another Audubon series. The books were much heavier than the boys had projected and the pair could handle only three at a time. They stuffed some of the smaller books Gooch had pulled out 
for them into their backpacks, with each taking one end of the Audubons. They made their way to the staff-only elevator as planned. We told BJ as we left we were going to make an anonymous phone call so they knew she was up there, Borsuk said. We felt bad. They were feeling bad about it beforehand and they said they were going to do all these things and they tried, I mean, but it sounds like they didn't They didn't do that. They. I don't think they made that anonymous phone call. They didn't need to because someone found her, but um, it's like they were sort of telling themselves that they weren't so bad, you know what I mean? Doing yeah. this thing that was they clearly knew was going to be traumatic, but we're like, we'll, we'll try and make it as as uh, easy as possible by not leaving her up there to be found. We'll get someone to find her and this sort of stuff. But and we're going to be millionaires after this. So... They also have said, I believe, that they they had plans of just selling her anonymous, selling, sending her anonymously a bunch of cash, which obviously she would have not been able to accept. Otherwise, it would have looked yeah, like she was in on it. Exactly. So it's all a bit naive at best. Oh, they're so dumb. Uh, Lipka and Borsuk rode the elevator to the basement. I mean, this is all high stress, obviously, mm. uh, but they couldn't find the fire exit in the basement. It just wasn't where they thought it was. Oh, my They God. went back up the elevator, accidentally stopping on the main <laughs> floor. So the two of them <laughs> holding these huge books. <laughs> Oh, they're so the stupid. The doors slowly open and they're realising they're on the on the main floor going, shit. The main librarian, uh, Miss Brown, who we, Susan Brown, sees them. She doesn't know what they're carrying, but she's like, where did these kids come from? Borsuk remembers. So we go back down to the bottom floor just to get away from her. I guess when we did that, she went upstairs to check on BJ. Realising that the only way out was through the main floor... They took the elevator up once again and carried the books into the back stairwell that led to another exit. As they scooted down the stairs, their arms gave out and they stopped to catch their breath. Borsuk had propped the folios on the steps with his foot when the librarian appeared at the top of the stairs beside herself with rage after finding Gooch hogtied in the rare book room. So this oh is Susan God. Brown. She's Susan Brown by name, yeah. but she's a fucking badass by nature. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she she's coming for him. Yes, Suzanne. <laughs> Borsuk yeah. drops the books and Lipka made a run for it. He just ran off in a random direction. He's panicked and he's run. That feels like him, yes. Uh, Reinhardt is outside watching this all happen. They're taking a bit longer than expected and he's, uh, this is what he remembers. He says, I see Warren and Eric bust out the back door. This is Lipka and Borsuk. They were 20 steps ahead of the librarian. Chaz Allen backs up the van and almost hits the woman as Eric Borsuk comes around to the door. Lipka had run up the side of a hill and frantically run off. Borsuk calls to him, and so I see Lipka go back. They jump in the van and peel out around the loop. So he, he just he just frantically ran away, forgetting that he had this whole... He had a getaway car that he named this weird name. He still forgot about the GTAV. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when they're yelling out to him, are they yelling out, Mr. Green, Mr. Green, or are they yelling I at think his they're, name? I, th- I don't know, but I think they're yelling out Mr. Green. And also, is there now a Mr. Brown and a Mrs. No, Brown? No, there's no Brown, but <laughs> that, that is great that a Brown got involved so, as well. So she's, she's part of the group. Uh, Alan dropped off his two passengers on a random street corner. He needed to get the car back to his mum. So Lipka and Borsica are there with... 
their backpacks. They've dropped the the most valuable part of their heist anyway, uh, and they're just sort of on the in this suburb of Lexington that they're not super familiar with. What? Um, he's like, I got to get the car back to my mum. I'll come back in another car and pick you up later. So they're just supposed to just stand yeah. there. And apparently there was some local guys okay. that took a dislike to him and they were being chased by some locals as well. <laughs> what? Uh, who Falk described as thugs. Yeah, That's I've been. Confusing. he's going off, off their stories. And I, Lipka feels like he tells a wild story anyway. So according to Falk, Lipka and Balsic got out of the GTAV believing that they had escaped with next to nothing. In fact... Wedged in their backpacks was nearly three quarters of a million dollars worth of books and manuscripts. So they were hoping to get, you know, 10 plus million worth of stuff, but they still came out with a lot of valuable stuff. What they had was an 1859 first edition of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection worth uh, $25,000, an illuminated manuscript from 1425 worth $200,000, a set of the two-volume 15th-century horticultural masterpiece entitled Hortus Sanitatus, worth $450,000, 20 original wow. Audubon drawings worth $50,000, and Audubon's A Synopsis of the Birds of North America worth $10,000. So, yeah, they thought we fucked it, but they still got a, all these things they just shoved in their backpacks ended up being worth quite a bit of money anyway. Yeah. But when you've mentally already <laughs> yeah. spent $8 million um, and now you're only going to get like a few hundred thousand, imagine being disappointed <laughs> yeah. in that amount of money. <laughs> imagine. Oh, I only get like 200 grand. <laughs> <laughs> what? Back at Warren's later that up. This is still folk. Back at Warren's later that afternoon, the boys were transfixed by the local coverage of the Transy book heist. According to the news... It appeared that neither Gooch nor anyone else was able to provide the police with an accurate description of the boys. Uh, The librarian who chased them out of the library did tell police the correct total of four thieves, even though she had only seen three. She was just such a fucking badass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Susan Brown by name. (laughs) A witness had written down a license plate number, but it was way off and it was based on a, a stolen plate of theirs anyway. They tried to come up with some lengths, uh, some lengths the cops could make between them and the theft, but they couldn't. In the early evening, they say they smoked some celebratory Kentucky bluegrass weed they had stashed away for the occasion. For yeah. something different? Yeah. Yeah, just something special. <laughs> so they, like, they're like, I think we just got away with a book heist, but... You stupid little fucks. <laughs> uh, the next part was, and they, they had already planned it out, they were heading to New York, baby. We're going to Christie's. We've got an appointment already made. <laughs> so they made the 12-hour road trip, the four of them in, in Borsuk's four-wheel drive, uh, telling their parents they were heading away on a ski trip. So like they're still having to tell their parents their alibis and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they arrived with plenty of time to spare, getting into town on the Sunday morning. So they had a Tuesday appointment. They got into town on Sunday. And according to Folk, that night they had dinner at a Jap- Japanese restaurant, or maybe this is where the things were conflated, uh, followed by drinks at the hotel bar where Warren chummed up to an Iraq veteran. Spencer almost started a brawl. That's Reinhardt. Am I having to keep doing the, you know, Warren's Lipka, Spencer is Reinhardt. Yep. So Spencer almost started a brawl after knocking a table of drinks over and Eric picked up a middle-aged Brazilian tourist. 
They're living well, there. What a weird night to do. They're like, I guess they're nervous about it all and they've still blown off some steam, but it feels like they all had very different yeah. nights. Or at least what a weird way f- for folk to break down their night. One of them met an Iraq yeah. veteran. One of them knocked over a table of drinks. One of them picked up a middle-aged Brazilian tourist. It was a big night. And all it took was that she um she just drew a little picture on a napkin. <laughs> I like it. Oh my god! I like how Reinhardt said it, but you're just assuming they're all. They're all I'm doing it for all of them. The same yeah. thing. <laughs> I just can't yeah. quite get past it, so I'm you know, bringing it I, up as often I as I can. Put it in. I'm like <laughs> Jess is going to really love and hate this little tidbit. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You know uh, me well. Lipka and Alan left the other two and staggered to the nearby China Club, a tacky Westside nightclub, which they knew about from the famous Rick James episode of Chappelle's show. So they're doing a bit of Chappelle's <laughs> show sightseeing. The next day, while hungover, they visited Ground Zero, then went to scope out Christie's ahead of the meeting before heading back to the hotel for an early night. So it's a bit of a sightseeing trip as well. It was decided that Lipka and Reinhardt would attend the meeting while the other two would wait in the car around the corner. I think in hindsight, surely you send in the guy who's got some experience with appraisals. Yeah, right? Yeah. What? He, that's kind of Yeah, deal. they've got him assigned as basically the getaway driver. That's his. That's really all he's done <laughs> apart and sort of bust their balls mm. a bit. Yeah, he's furious with them when they get back in the car anyway. So the other two wait around the corner. Lipka and Reinhardt went in. They knew they had to dress the part as to not look suspicious to the Christie's staff. And according to... Oh, no, tuxedos. Oh, no. But also old men faces. <laughs> I mean, you're sort of in the ballpark. According to Folk, dressed for success in a tailored dark blue suit his parents had bought for special occasions and future job interviews, Lipka cultivated the young conservative look, using a Windsor knot on his red tie and giving his wingtips a last-minute buff. Spencer Reinhardt assembled his outfit with even greater care, starting with a 1970s Pierre Cardin a canary yellow blazer that had belonged to his grandfather. He wore a dress shirt with an ostentatiously large collar and a gold silk scarf. For footwear, he went with white, <laughs> clean sneakers. And for pants? None at all. None at all. <laughs> I'm a... He's wearing a bright yellow blazer. With a massive collar and yeah. then a, a, like a, an ostentatious scarf. I love it. What a, what a look. Oh, my God. The other guy's just gone for like, I'm a young businessman. And this guy's like, <laughs> I'm a billionaire. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I'm an eccentric billionaire. Hello. <laughs> These books mean nothing to me because of my net worth, but still appraise them. <laughs> they arrived and let reception know they were there for Beckman's appointment with Thomas Leckie, Christie's rare book specialist. Instead, Menel- instead, Melanie Halloran greeted them and took the meeting. She said that, unfortunately, Leckie wasn't available. They introduced themselves as Mr. Williams and Mr. Stevens, the sole representatives of Walter Beckman, who recently inherited some rare books oh. which he wanted appraised. It sounds like a, a relatively solid cover story. I guess so, yeah. But they must be pretty good at... at- Detecting if people are because they'll they'll get in trouble too if they sell stolen shit. So they must be yeah, that's pretty right. Good at like they would have to that. they would have to give the money back, right, and the possession. So and it would just be bad yeah. for their reputation, all sorts of things like that. Uh, Halloran went through the items, asked questions, and took notes. After thirty minutes, the meeting ended with the pair being told they'd hear from Halloran 
after she chatted to her superiors, probably Lecky, Reinhardt gave her mm. his mobile phone number to call. When they got back in the car, Alan was like, what the fuck? You, all you had to do was come out with the, the figures. You needed a sheet of paper. Instead, you've left behind your own mobile phone number. He was furious. Yeah, because uh, yeah, they don't want to actually sell it. They want just that paper that says this is what they're worth, take it to Amsterdam and then sell it. So oh, now no. they're, yeah, they're connected yeah, yeah. by this mobile phone number and they didn't get the thing they wanted anyway and now they're not in the room with her and who knows what the conversations will say. Uh, their best chance was just to do it quickly. I don't know how likely that was, but um, Alan seemed to think it was possible. At Alan's insistence, they stayed an extra night to try and see Thomas Leckie the, the following day, the rare book specialist. They attempted to call Leckie multiple times in the morning and in the afternoon, left messages with reception, but he did not get back to them. So... Oh, he's on to them. He calls as their a bullshit. Group, they returned home to Lexington. What a rough 12-hour car ride that must have been. Mm. What the group didn't know was that Halloran found them super suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And oh. she told her boss, Lecky that uh, she re- recommended that they don't follow up with them and just leave it, though. She didn't say, let's get the cops involved or anything. She yeah. said, um, these guys are dodgy. Let's just let it let it be. In the meantime, the Lexington police continued their investigation. They were able to trace the email from Beckman to a computer lab at the University of Kentucky, which led them to trawling through hours of footage of that computer room, but they couldn't find anything. So they still still had no idea, really. Then in mid-January, Yahoo delivered all the data they had relating to the Walter Beckman Yahoo email address. They um, got a federal affidavit for Yahoo to release that to them. Uh, And this is what would unveil the group's biggest slip-up. As well as the phone number, they also used the same email address to both set up the initial uh, book meeting for Beckman at the library, but also for the meeting at Christie's. So now the cops are like, oh, these guys... They've gone. They've gone to Christie's, and they've and oh, they've done it on no. this date. Let's get in contact with Christie's. Oh. So the FBI went and interviewed Halloran, and according to Folk, she described one of the young men as about six feet tall with bleached blonde hair, well dressed in a nice suit, and very talkative. The other was short and quiet, wearing a yellow jacket, two sizes too large, and a matching scarf. <laughs> Quote and no pants. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could see everything and I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> Quote, he looked like he was dressed from a thrift store. Oh. Oh, he was trying to look rich and he didn't. He didn't quite nail it. The FBI were also able to get CCTV footage of Reinhardt and Lipka at Christie's and the phone number Reinhardt left with Halloran, she still had and she passed it on to them as well. Yeah. So they just they called found... it and said, who's this? <laughs> Where, whereabouts well, not... are you? <laughs> Not too far off, they found out that the phone number was registered to Spencer's father, uh, Gary Reinhardt, and then they called the number and they got the voicemail, this is Spence, leave a message. fuck. Oh, my God, Spencer, you dumb shit. Don't know why he didn't change it. Obviously, he, yeah, maybe he didn't realise that he'd slipped up there. I would change my outgoing message to, hello, this is eccentric billionaire. (laughs) I can't hear you. I'm not wearing any pants right now. <laughs> Leave a message in one of my many 
many secretaries <laughs> might call you back. I'm incredibly busy. Good day. I guess it would have been I mean, either way. They would have just gone to his dad and gone, Who, who's, who yeah. uses this phone? Oh, your son? Oh, he looks like this guy on this uh, CCD, CT, CT, CCTV footage. Damn it. So what did the FBI do? They did an internet search of Spencer Reinhardt Lexington and it brought up a bunch of hits, including oh, no. the photo <laughs> from the Lexington Herald leader of Reinhardt and Lipka playing soccer. It's a soccer guy! <laughs> and they, know, they said, geez... These two have a real sharp resemblance with Mr. Stevens and Mr. Williams from Christie's appointment. So they were done. They uh, they f- <laughs> they just found them on Google Images. They found them on Google <laughs> oh Images. Oh my god! In the meantime, Reinhardt made the stomach churning realization that they had used the same Yahoo email address for both appointments, and knew it was only a matter of time before they were arrested. The FBI didn't arrest them straight away, though. Instead, they had them followed. Trying to live as normally as possible, they just went, we're going to live on with our lives. But it sounds like the pressure was breaking them. All of them got done for different minor crimes in that time. One for drink driving, one for stealing a frozen dinner from a supermarket, uh, one for uh, hooning. One of them, they were uh, pulled over when uh, Lipka was riding on the top, on the roof of a friend's car that was speeding. Oh, my God. Hey, guys, let's just so try and just lay like, low, get on with our not lives as normal, not bring attention to ourselves. Want to ride on my car, roof? Sure. <laughs> See, if this is the kind of adrenaline rush they've all been looking for and instead they went on a book heist. Oh, no. Then one day Reinhard Lipka and Borsuk went to the cinemas to see... Ocean's 12. No, no, Matthew, no. Please tell me that's what the FBI arrest them. Please. That would be so amazing for the rest of the audience members. <laughs> I'm afraid not, but they did loudly comment along as they watched. According to Borsik, it was just funny because we've been in a lot of places that they've been. Like <laughs> they were doing something serious, talking about the heist, going over the plan, and somebody would make a joke. So we would see these parts and we'd be like, oh, this is just like us. And they talked like that through the whole film. What they didn't realise is the FBI agents were sitting behind them no! all along. <laughs> Why? <laughs> okay, so I've just got to say, in my mind, I was kind of trying to work out whether this is the dumbest heist we've ever covered because we've done a few. We've done the Dumb and Dumber Bandits, which they mm-hmm. got caught very, very quickly. Uh, there's the Loomis Fargo heist where they were taking money back to the bank that still had the wrappings of where they'd stolen them from the truck. (laughs) And I thought there's no way it could get dumber than those two. But talking about the crime you've done loudly during Ocean's 12 in a public cinema, that might be the dumbest thing we've ever heard. Do you know what? That would have been, for those FBI agents, that would have been the best day at work ever. Because you'd be sitting there so smug, listening to the whole thing and just looking at each other like, these fucking idiots. This yeah. is the best. Also, can I have more popcorn, please? It would be it would be hard not to laugh out loud as they were talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And then just say, sorry, Brad Pitt's very funny, He's isn't so he? Funny. He's always eating for some reason. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Then within a couple of days, on the morning of February the 11th, 2005, a SWAT team broke down the front door of their share house and were all arrested. This is from Falk. Cops entered the basement, a dank pit reeking of marijuana, and found Lipka sprawled out on the mattress. He was whisked into a squad car. In a duffel bag by his bed, an FBI agent discovered the stolen books, all undamaged, as well as the five-page type plan for the heist 
an accounting ledger, <laughs> wigs, instructions for opening a Swiss bank account, and the stun guns, which apparently arrived after the robbery. <laughs> and also a signed confession. <laughs> so they didn't even try to hide all this shit. Yeah, I put know, it in a box and lock it up or something. It sounds like least. Reinhardt said that he he figured it out and he said, oh, we've made this bad mistake. It's a matter of time. I don't know. Surely you go, all right, what do, how do we... What do we do here? Maybe we return the books. We own up. Surely, you know, you get ahead of the game. You confess. Yeah. That'll bring down our sentences maybe. I don't no, know. No, I'll go right on top of a car. <laughs> uh, Reinhardt was arrested in a simultaneous raid on his dorm room at Transy. All four were brought to Lexington Police Headquarters and individually interrogated by FBI and local detectives. Faced with overwhelming evidence, they all eventually confessed. Apparently three of them did First, and I think Borsik said, I think I'm going to need my lawyer. And then his lawyer got there and I guess he went, I confess. Yeah, his (laughs) lawyer went, what are you doing, dickhead? Just confess. (laughs) You, you, like, you've laid it out. Everything but signed the confession, you've done it. As the Lexington Herald leader reported at the time, court papers alleged a plot that seems more slapstick caper than high-stakes crime, thieves who barely escaped, dropping the most valuable books as they ran, who used the same email account to set up the heist and sell the goods, giving the police an electronic trail. But the elements of the crime, a stun gun, a tied-up librarian, stolen goods worth at least $500,000, means that the four could spend up to 10 years in prison if convicted. And there was during the court case, there was uh, arguments made from each side about the two $8 million, or the $8 million package. Mm-hmm. They'd, take, they'd taken it out of its place, but they didn't get it off the property. So... Uh, prosecution argued that that should count in the amount, and the bigger the amount, the heavier the um, sentencing could be. <laughs> oh, right, but they were like, right. oh no, they weren't stealing the big ones; they were just moving them inside <laughs> in the, the library. Feng Shui. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the end, the judge or the magistrate or whatever did say, did accept that that they weren't actually stolen; they weren't added to the cost, and they were ended up sentenced to seven years without parole. Shit. None of them dogged each other. They all had the opportunity, hey, you you uh, talk in court about them, you'll get a reduced mm. sentence, and they all sort of stood by each other in that way. I thought for sure you were going to say that um, it was argued as to whose plan it was to try and be like, they're the ringleader, I was yeah. I didn't, I didn't, was just driving the car, I didn't even know what I was yeah. doing. Yeah, you think I they'd all blame Alan because they hated him anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, they, either they all just throw Alan in it or Lipka, who it does feel like. It uh, did do a lot of it. I mean, yeah. in, in more recent interviews that I saw in the film in particular that I'm going to talk about soon, that was made about it, uh, he did say, he's like, people are making me out to be the ringleader, but we're all in it together. He sort of doesn't see it that way. And it's interesting yeah. how their different memories of it uh, contradict some little bits and pieces as well. Mm. Uh, so this film, I don't know if you've heard of it, it was uh, from 2018, so it's pretty recent. I watched it last night. It's a film about the heist called American Animals. Uh, the film features interviews, real-life interviews with Lipka, Reinhardt, Borsak and Allen, and the Sundance website describes it as both a thrilling heist film and an existential journey of four misguided young men searching in all the wrong places for identity, meaning, adventure and the kind of life that movies are made about. Oh. It's, re- it's a really great. good film. Yeah, it is really, really good. And, yeah, Lipka in it, he's, he's very charismatic, as you'd probably expect, you know, the, the class clown guys. Um, great talker and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I and then I found uh, Reinhardt very likable as well. And yeah, something about Reinhardt was like, oh, I'm like, oh, I really kind of like this guy. 
Right. I kind of, yeah, they're all kind of likable. Does I he think. still have his yellow blazer? <laughs> no, he just looks like a normal, <laughs> he looks like a normal guy now. He's grown into it, basically. Still wearing the yellow blazer, but it now fits in. <laughs> and they're still young. Yeah, so they're just in their early 30s now. And did they spend the full seven in prison? Yes, they all spent a little over seven years in prison. Oh, my goodness. Do they talk about that experience at all? Uh, not too much. I mean, in, in that interview that I've been quoting from a lot, Lipka was still sounding real like it ends with some kind of cringy comment like, this isn't the last you've heard of us. We're going to do big things. Oh, wow. <laughs> I decided to leave that out. And now, <laughs> I put, now I put it in. Um, in the film, though, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Gooch because I was a big fan. Um, in the film, the theft scene is super brutal. And I think that's it kind of changed my vibe on this whole story. I'm just like going at, real, at Hammer's home. It's like oh, this isn't just a goofy thing. This They've traumatised a, a, an innocent woman yeah. who was just going about her business. And the, that scene is long and it is a hard watch. As the Herald leader writes, the notorious moment in Transy's history is now portrayed in a new movie, American Animals, which makes it clear how central Gooch was to the whole story. The heist, the trial, the prison time, the magazine pieces, the books, and now finally the film. Gooch's ordeal took what would have been a simple heist into the realm, into the realm of serious violent crime. She found herself unable to talk about it for many years and has never before spoken to the media. The trauma came not just from being tied up and threatened, but the added violations of two sacred things, the workplace she regarded as a home and the special relationship she had teaching students about so many Trancy's treasures. Gooch was initially nervous about seeing the film, but she told the Herald Leader in her first public interview that she watched it in her home with director Bart Layton and that it, quote, helped her heal and even reach a place of forgiveness. Aww. What a gun. I mean, she definitely has no, there's yeah, no responsibility to forgive in my mind. But Absolutely not, no. In the film's interviews with the four men, they talk candidly about their boredom with their privileged Lexington lives and the need to make a mark with even the most ridiculous of plans. Leighton also interviews Gooch in one brief scene at the end in which he concludes, it makes me wonder if they really know why they did it at all. I thought he did a wonderful job, Gooch said of Leighton. I was very nervous about watching the movie. Then I changed my mind. I think he was so successful in interviewing the guys, I came away with a fuller understanding of what, my, of what made the guys tick. It helped me close the door on it and have a more forgiving attitude. I think it was good for me to see the film. It was therapeutic. Forgiveness is a work in progress. I have good days and bad days, she said. The bottom line is I don't bear them any ill will. I really don't anymore. The bottom line is how can you get on with your life if you wake up every morning with this huge grudge filled with hate and all this? So she and it, she went straight back to work but then realised, you know, she's in there alone and it realised that it had affected her quite badly so she needed to take a leave and, um, you know, she's still feeling it but she's getting better as time goes on by the sounds of it and wow. she's still working that job. Wow, what good a legend. Her. What about the boys? I don't know if you're about to say this, but did they have genuine remorse for the the violent part of the crime? Yeah, well, that does, I mean, the way the movie goes about it, it, it shows that they are they do feel bad about it. it does feel like they have genuine remorse, mm. um, and they're all sort of now um, out of prison and trying to get on with their lives. Uh, Alan 
who, you know, probably would be a multimillionaire by now. Maybe he is anyway. But he's I think he's he's working as a gym trainer. Um you've got uh the only one still in Lexington is Reinhardt who's making a career as an artist. And I saw some of his paintings. He's 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 very talented. Is he more talented girls. than girls? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen any um any talented female artists? Me either. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, they let girls into art class now, huh? <laughs> Borsik um, is trying to make it as a writer and uh, Lipka as uh, he's, he's studying film. He's trying to work in film. Um, coincidentally, a copy of John James Audubon's Birds of America sold at Christie's the same year the film came out. So we got an update, uh, updated price on its value. Now just short of ten million US dollars. Oh, damn. Nine point six five million. Wow. And I thought maybe just to finish on, I think this is a kind of a cute thing to finish on. Uh, the same article, which was the first interview with Gooch, says that Gooch recommended the film to friends and family, even though it was pretty traumatic uh, retelling. But she she thinks it's really good. Uh, it turns out that B J Gooch, Guardian of History, is also a pop culture junkie who already knew of the young actors Evan Peters and Barry Keehan, who played Lipka and Reinhardt. She's also a huge fan of the actress who played her, Anne Dowd, most recently in A Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> who has appeared in countless other movies. That's sort of fun. That's cute. Yeah, that would be so cool. It's like, oh, I'm getting played by an actor I really love. That would yeah, be a bit that'd of a be thrill. nice. Oh, Gooch sounds like a legend. Yeah, big Gooch fan. I think that library sounds sick. Gooch and Brown. Brown and Gooch. <laughs> oh, my God. What a partnership. <laughs> I want to uh, visit that library. I really want to, yeah, I'm like, I want to reach out to, I imagine so many people would have sent her emails and stuff since, like, yeah. hey, Gooch, you fucking rock. I wanna... <laughs> You're all Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sort of, it's a very satisfying ending because they didn't get away with it and also obviously Gooch was hurt and traumatised but there was no sort of deaths or anything like that. Um uh, and they've all served their time. You know, that, yeah. it feels satisfying that I'm not yeah, like, think, oh, they got away with it or something, you know? Yeah, I think I think as, as far as how these things can go, this is a, is pretty good. You can never undo the, you know, the trauma and all that, yeah, but yeah. Um, as good as the system works, I think it seemed to work in this case. I wonder if, and I hope they learnt too because just for, they were just looking for a thrill basically and they just had, classic white boy confidence that they could pull off something like that and then they didn't. And I wish I had white, classic white boy confidence. <laughs> you do. You just don't even know you have it. Oh, my it. God, do I? That's the thing about white boy confidence. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Dave, you've got it too? Yeah, I've pulled off several heists, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do um, I doubt myself about everything? Or is that what white boy confidence is? I, no, it's I just doubt worse myself for everyone more. else. Really? That is so funny that you can get inside my head like that <laughs> and know know how I feel. One other thing I should say, in the film, it made it out an, an interesting thing that doesn't come across in the articles I read at all. But um, there is some doubt in Reinhardt's mind now that some of the things that Lipka said were true at all. Like, he's like, I mean, I dropped him off at the airport to go to Amsterdam, but I didn't, I didn't see him oh. get on the plane. I, and then he's and he's also like, I mean, that the man with the ponytail, is that just how he told me it happened, or did I actually see it? I'm not even, I'm not sure now. 
maybe he just took that 500 bucks. He's like, maybe he was just making up all that stuff, which would be pretty incredible. That's not clear either way. And then Lipka's like, you'll just have to take my word for it. And that's, that all happens in the film as well, which is a weird, mm. weird twist. And the way they do it in the film is they sort of they go back to those scenes and just tweak them a bit. And they play with that a bit because they're using real interviews into the scenes. The two of them will be confused about where a conversation took place. So they'll show it occurring both in a car and at a party because one of them remembers it at a party, one of them right. remembers it at a car. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, some fun little techniques like that are used. Yeah, sounds really interesting. Yes. Um, sick. Well, that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show, I do believe. Uh, and it has a little jingle that goes something like this. Fact, quote or question. Ding! I always remembers the ding. Uh, the way to get involved in this is you sign up at patreon.com slash pod on the Cindy Scheinberg Deluxe Memorial Edition level and you give us then a fact, a quote or a question and you get to give yourself a title and you get all sorts of other bonuses like bonus episodes, voting rights on topics. Uh, this topic was voted on by the Patreons and this topic won on a landslide. I put up three different heist options oh. and this one got nearly 50% of the vote. Um. Anyway, here are some facts, some quotes, and some questions from some of our Patreon supporters. This one is so close to a question that was asked last week. I'll see if you have any fresh ideas for it. Uh, it comes from Sasha Eisenstadt, who gives herself the title of Tour Guide of the Do Go Oniverse or the Do Go On Universe. And her question is What is the strangest story you have from a job you've worked? <laughs> Hang on, was that the exact question from last it's, week? Yeah, it's so close. Uh, what was the most weird experience at a job was what was asked last week by Nick. Oh, wow. Um, gosh, I feel like I've really burnt some stuff here. But have you not had anything weird happen this week, Dave? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, Dave, ooh, you should tell the story of book cheat. <laughs> that oh. is strange. <laughs> to me, that's strange. It's infuriating more, but it is also strange. I, uh, okay, well, I didn't put out my episode of Book Cheat this week and I still haven't. Um, well, maybe by the time this comes out, who knows? Um, because uh, I recorded with uh, two guests, but one of the microphones of the guests when recorded, uh, for some reason, is about 7% faster than everyone else's conversation. <laughs> so I've had to manually edit each sentence that they say and it is absolutely killing me and twice the the project has fucked up so i've gotten over half i've spent over six hours of my life editing this and i still don't have a podcast to put out so who knows if we'll ever see the light of day i don't think you you can really count yourself as a successful podcast until you've lost an episode you know <laughs> yeah. all the greats have lost them although you're gonna say i don't think you can really count yourself as a successful podcast until you've actually started putting them out regularly, Dave. This is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? It's King Lear. And honestly, listening back, every, when it is in sync, I think it's very fun and funny. That's why I do want to save it. But mm. is it going to happen? I don't know. Is it salvageable? How about you guys? Has anything weird happened in your lives this week at your job? No, this is my job. We haven't done anything strange today. Uh, I, yeah, this story, I don't know if I've told before, but I used to do some community TV in the mornings. I used to, for a 10-week stint, I hosted uh, this show called Get Serial TV with Alistair Trombo-Birchall from Two in the Think Tank. And 
at the same time, I was working full time selling air conditioning. And so I'd go in there, I'd get up at five or whatever, go in and do the TV thing, and then I'd go to work for the day. And then one time uh, I'd sold this job and uh, it was the installer, the the plumber was putting in this uh, system and he was trying to figure out who drew up the floor plan and, and size up the job and everything, which is what I did. And he's asking the client, he's like, who can you describe the guy? And he goes, oh, sort of, yeah, I, I don't know, like kind of tall, lanky guy. And, and then Andy, the installer, goes, Kind of seems like he's stoned. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, that's him. And then he goes, actually, he's that guy there. And he pointed at the TV and I was on TV at that time. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> that's awesome. That That's amazing. <laughs> that's great. So that was pretty, I think that was pretty strange. Did he clarify he's not stoned? He just yeah, looks no, like Yeah, I know, I hope he did. <laughs> I promise you he's definitely not stoned, but... He gives off that vibe. Yes, yeah, it's just a vibe thing. He just has a, a dumb voice. It's a dopey voice. He's sorry. <laughs> He's sorry. Can't do anything about it. Uh, thank you so much, Sasha. Do you, have, you don't have any? You haven't been at Triple J lately. Oh, last night, but nothing strange happened. Yeah, you watched an episode of Escape to the Country where they didn't even move <laughs> yeah. country. How weird is that? <laughs> House Hunters International, and they moved in the same state. Come on. <laughs> Bullshit. Now that's strange. There you go. That is strange. That's good. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sasha. Thanks, Great Sasha. question. Sorry. I mean, it's impossible. We should be known that these questions would have been submitted before last week's one was read out. So it's impossible yeah. for yes. them to know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but it was a question so nice. They asked it twice and I love that. <laughs> that's a good um, question. This next one comes from Gary J from the UK. Oh, Gary J. He's uh, given himself the title, Knock Knock, Who's There? Owen. Oh, and who? Oh, and the Saints go marching in, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Gary's giving us a fact, and this fact is percentages are reversible. 8% of 25 is the same as 25% of 8, and one of them is much easier to do in your head than the other. Ain't maths fun? <laughs> yes, they are, Gary. That's they a fun are. fact. I, I wouldn't have been able to. I'd, yeah, that makes I sense when you said it, I think. So, Does it? Well, let's just use an example then. Okay, here we go. So, uh, Mr. Abacus at work. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense because ten percent of one hundred is ten, and one hundred percent of ten is ten. Ah, okay. yeah, that's that's great. I didn't know that. I would like I would, wouldn't have been able to tell you that. So, Gary J, you have blown out minds. Well done, Gary. You've out maths the math magician. Yeah. Thank you, Gary J. The next one comes from Michael Killen, who's given himself the title of Director of Scones, Clotted Cream and Strawberry Jam. Well, it doesn't specify an order, mm. but, I mean, let's assume the order that he set it in is the order that he lays them down. Scones first, Clotted Cream, then the Sadly, jam. I think we actually probably can assume that. We can also assume that he's incredibly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Michael. Uh, no, you can't, you can't call him wrong now. This is his time to shine. I know, that's right. All right. Michael has asked the question, aside from the excellent books on BookCheat, do any of you have a favourite non-fiction book? For example, a motivational or self-help book? The Courage to be Disliked has been a personal favourite of mine recently. Love the show, team. Keep rocking on. Okay, so non-fiction. Is there a book out there called How to Be White Boy Confident? Because <laughs> if that not, there really should be. That really annoyed you, didn't it? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I didn't know. I just thought it was a little funny callback there. 
Um, the I'm trying to find the name of it now because somehow I've forgotten, even though I only read it very recently. Um, the book that was written that I used as a reference for the Real Lord of the Flies book, uh, written by. Rutger Bregman. Okay, I'm googling as I go, and I'm Great stalling. Name. Okay, um, I'll talk for a second if you want while you Google. Yeah, sure. I, I read the uh, Leonard Cohen, auto, or sorry, biography. I'm your man uh, a few months ago, and I loved it. And what first self help? I don't. So it's a, I, I did go through a phase of reading a few a couple of years ago, maybe like back when I was. <laughs> We're going to uh, selling air conditioning. My boss was right into them, so he got me on a few. But then I read a friend got one that I read. I sort of flicked through a little bit called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, and I think I mean there's some stuff in that. I you know it's all those books are they're halfway between cringy and helpful. I can never quite know what to feel about them, but there was some some good stuff in it. I think. Um, Have you found your one, Papa? Yes, thank you. Um, the one that I was talking about is Humankind, uh, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. And it's quite nice and it is hopeful and it's sort of stories of how people, you know, like it's always portrayed in movies that in times of disaster humans act in really terrible ways, you know, but in actual fact when bad things have happened throughout history, humans have been really good to each other. And it's it's quite, it's quite nice, especially at the moment when it feels like the world is ending. Um, it's nice to be like, oh, maybe humans aren't so bad. Uh, and I'm currently also reading um, Claire Bowditch's book, which is called Your Own Kind of Girl, and it's a memoir. And it's very nice. I'm enjoying it a lot. So, yeah. Sick. Uh, very nice. Um, as for me, I don't need self-help books because I am white boy confident. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't really read a lot of non-fiction or self-healthy type stuff, I must say. I do love my copy of the guide to every episode of The Simpsons. So there you go. Oh, cool. Do you do you work with Claire Bowditch? She works out of ABC Radio, doesn't she, Bopper? I think so, but I, I haven't I haven't uh, met her. I have seen her once. Uh, we were at the same nail salon, but Ooh. I didn't feel like that was an appropriate time <laughs> to say hello. So oh, I left she it. looks. She looks open for a chat. <laughs> She's getting a pedicure. I'm getting a manicure. There's the time to form a friendship. Uh, that's a good question. Thank you, Michael. Uh, and finally, the last one is from from Nathan Damon, and he's written in brackets. Pronounced Nathan Damon, spelt the same way. Very good stuff. <laughs> good to uh, check. Good to check. Nathan has given himself the title Senior Executive Partner of the Saints is now my second team division of Shetland Incorporated. Ooh. Oh, Nathan, bumped up to second team. Nathan's an Eagles fan, I'm pretty sure, so he doesn't know pain or suffering. <laughs> Nathan's what I would call white boy confident. <laughs> uh, he's given us a quote. It's from Nathan. He writes, puns are the highest form of literature. Alfred Hitchcock. Now, can we verify that, Dave? Is that a... They are the highest form of literature. That's true. Wow. So Hitchcock was on the money. If That seems like a fake quote to me, but I, Dave's looking at me like, I would yeah, never that's doubt definitely it. real. I would never doubt the, the, the word of Nathan. Yeah. Well, if puns are the highest form of literature, well, then Nathan truly is domain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if we could have that bit edited out. <laughs> no, um, please get it thank in. Thank you. It's coming up. Um, there's a YouTube video here. Of uh, Alfred Hitchcock, 
I can't, obviously can't play it because we are recording the show, but Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> it just says puns are the highest form of literature and then there's a photo of him. So I think it might oh, be. There you go. Sounds about right. Uh, well, that brings us to uh, the next part of everyone's favourite section of the show where we thank a few more patrons and Jess somebody comes up with a, a little game for this that's somehow related to the episode. What do you reckon this time around, Bopper? I was thinking of what they could steal. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. What are they going to heist? <laughs> I think mean, that's a bit. Why don't they talk like that more? I'm going to go heisting. Yeah. You know, use it more like a verb or What's whatever. the difference at the end of the day? You know? Yeah. Between a heist and a theft. Yeah, like someone mugs you on the street. Oh, I've had my pockets heisted. <laughs> I've been heisted. <laughs> Officer, I'd like to report a heist. Heist in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if I could kick it off, if that's okay with you two. Please. I'd like to thank from Kununurra in WA, Carol O'Malley. You've been at Kununurra, haven't you, Bob? Yeah, I think so. you perform so. there? I don't know. On on that tour that you <laughs> look back I'm on not fondly? Sure. I'm not sure. I don't know if I was in Kununurra, actually. I don't think I was. But who can say? Mm. Probably me. I should be able to, and I don't know. Um, but I would like to mention that Western Australia is fucking huge. Really? <laughs> so big. And so, so free big. right now. Yeah. Just so free to get about. Yeah, they can just go anywhere they want at any oh, time. It's very exciting. Um, but Carol, of course, and her gang heist uh, at a pharmacy Oh, so they're getting what? Uh, we we talking behind the counter? Are they or are they just heisting from from just the room? Shampoo, so like band aids, conditioner, and jelly beans, vitamin C tablets, the chewy ones, um, some very cheap sunglasses. Yeah, but then some like very expensive like hair dye and stuff. So you know. Oh, yeah. What else do they got in there? They've got all sorts they of got stuff. Everything. Like, uh, wraps for injuries. Yes. And uh, ice packs. Yep. Oh, you got it all. Yeah. Those CPR like, So much of the stuff you need to perform a heist is on the floor in there. So they're going to have to do a heist to prepare for their heist. Hmm. Hmm. Double heist, Carol. That's what I'm <laughs> thinking. Thanks so much for your support. You've been supporting us for over a year now. Bloody legend. As has from Cran Lee in Surrey, Great Britain, George Royale. Ooh, oh, my goodness. What George. George. <laughs> George. George has, of course, uh, conducted a heist of royal family memorabilia. Wow. Oh, fantastic. So not like the crown jewels type stuff, but like little commemorative plates and all those sorts of things. Yes. Love that. <laughs> and, yeah, just like memento versions of all these things, crown jewels. Yeah. Key rings. He's got like a little figurine of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah key rings, yeah, yeah, of a crown. Fr- fridge magnets of... You know, Kate and Will. Yeah. From their wedding. Harry and uh, Meghan t shirts. He's got he's got postcards of all the kids. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, George, what a haul. That's a and haul. And I mean you're not too far away in Surrey from making that all happen. So What's stopping you? Know, you? What's stopping you? <laughs> Uh, I'd love to finally thank from Footscray in the wonderful western suburbs of Melbourne, Jessica Elise McKee. Oh, fantastic. And I believe Jessica is going to organise a heist of the Melbourne Aquarium. Oh, oh get yourself a dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have dolphins yeah. there. I'm going to ride the dolphin to victory. <laughs> oh, that has definitely got the setup of bad botched heist written all over it. We didn't realise how heavy a shark would be. <laughs> I thought I could wrap it in a sheet and carry it down the stairs. And he's just got like a pump water bottle just sort of <laughs> yeah. squirting it on the shark for a bit. 
Why has it stopped moving? Oh. <laughs> this shark sucks. <laughs> Your shark's broken. He takes the shark back to his school and says, attack. <laughs> attack his bullies. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Uh, I don't know if it is. <laughs> oh, the aquarium, yes. Our acting out of it. No, I, lo- so I love I'm, I'm loving picturing <laughs> I mean, animal cruelty aside, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. very much enjoying that. Bob, <laughs> do you want to thank a few of our great patrons? I would absolutely love to. I would love to thank from Aylesbury, somewhere in Great Britain. It's a bit of a mystery. Uh, and so is their surname, but I would love to thank Maisie. Ooh. Oh, great name, Maisie. Thank you, Maisie. Uh, and Matt, what has Maisie heisted? Maisie has gone into the big flower show mm-hmm. here in <laughs> Melbourne. So she's flown out for is it in where's the big no, it's in Canberra. Where's the big flower show? Somewhere in Australia where at the same time as a comedy festival. In we one do have, of the there is cities. one in Melbourne, yeah. All right. She's gone to the Melbourne Flower Show and she's she's uh left with bags and bags of Fertilizer, fertilizer and mulch. Whoa, whoa! As well as one of those prize flowers that only blooms once a century or whatever. That oh, the one, one that smells wow. like horse, like a like rotting horse flesh. That one. Yeah, specifically horse horse <laughs> flesh. Wow. Ugh. Ugh. Maisie, Maisie, you're what a haul! Mastermind, you're going to make a lot of money from that. <laughs> Great haul. Congrats, congrats on that haul, Maisie. Um, I would also love to thank. Uh, from Canawindra in New South Wales, Kate Bain. Oh, Bainsy. Nice. I reckon uh, Kate Baines, she goes in to, um, and this is the perfect crime, during a big football match, she goes in and it's it's a tight match so everyone's out there watching. She goes in and steals all the hot dogs, <laughs> sausage rolls and hot chips. Oh, wow, but she leaves the pies alone. Good on her. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hero, right? Honor there. amongst thieves. <laughs> we don't touch pies. <laughs> and does she try and sell them back to the public? She goes outside uh, where her accomplice is waiting with a little stall and she sells them all uh, slightly cheaper and makes a killing. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no point in stealing hot chips for later. Everyone knows they're useless. Oh, soggy within... and cold. Yeah, no good. No, thank you. Um, so thank you very much, Kate. And finally, I would love to thank from Newport News wow. in Ooh. what's VA Virginia. Virginia. Thank you. Why don't why have, why can't I remember? Anyway, um, because well, I'm still doing that thing every night where I'm going through yeah. all the states. That's why, Jess, is because you're probably doing something with your time, and I'm not. I'm watching Marvel movies and playing The Sims. So you know, we're both using our brains yeah. in different ways. Um, but I would love to thank Zachary Ganazowski. Ganazowski, maybe. Ganazowski. Uh, you know what? Dave came over the top there with a little bit of white boy confidence in pronunciation. You got them right. And uh, did I and nail you nailed it? it? Thank you. He needs that confidence. No, I look. I'm saying the white boy confidence was misguided there, <laughs> as it often is. I'd say. Sorry, Zachary, but. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us. And, of course, for heisting what, Dave? Uh, he's robbing Ikea. Oh. oh, that's a good haul. Oh. But then you've got to build it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I honestly, and I, I've just realised I've just ordered one more flat pack thing that I'm going to have to build, which is very annoying. But I, I think 
I never want to build flat pack ever again. Wow. Okay. I hate it with a passion. If you'd rather just solid. What what's the opposite? I don't know. I don't know. Just things coming already done. Do it's like, already been built for you. Do you like jigsaw puzzles and stuff? Fucking hate them. Yeah, right. Oh, I me think too. I, I quite like puzzles, so I I kind of don't mind putting together things like that. But do you know what I've just bought myself, even though I'm so confident I'm going to hate it, is like a little mini, They're like it's like a little mini dollhouse thing that you build, but it's a greenhouse. So it's got all these cute little mini plants in it and you have to build the walls and stuff. And I've just ordered that, even though I know I'm probably going to last <laughs> five minutes. That sounds sick though. That sounds really cool. It's going to be very cute if I ever finish it. <laughs> it's a good time. Is it a good time of year for... Plants? Because someone was saying that tomato plants are good this time of year. So I'm going to go get a little tomato plant. Oh, great. For, the, for <laughs> a bloody summertime of tomato yeah, it's goodness. Spring. I love that. I even... Matt's questioning whether spring's a good time for plants. <laughs> is spring a good time for plants? <laughs> um, even my indoor plants, which have all been just doing nothing in the last few months, are now just like, hey, I've got some new leaves. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Welcome, new leaves. What's up? Okay, well, I killed a little plant. I've got a small <laughs> courtyard and I piss on one of the plants because <laughs> I thought that was good for them. It is full dead. And <laughs> before I started pissing on it, it was thriving. So well, I think you need to maybe get your piss checked. Why are you, why are you pissing outside? <laughs> was it a lemon tree? I think you could piss on lemon, lemon trees, trees, but I don't think you just piss on everything. If I'm out working in the shed, what, are you going to go all the way into the house? What are you, a maniac? <laughs> If I'm out working in the shed, what are you doing? Fixing the car, are you, Dad? <laughs> Recording I'm a podcast. You yeah. didn't notice as I popped out for a whiz halfway through? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Dave, do you want to bring it home? All right, let me bring it home with three of the bloody best here from Dron Field in Great Britain. I'd like to give a big shout-out and thank you to Chris Wig. Oh, Chris Wig. I wonder if he's got any connection to the wig sphere. <laughs> <laughs> Knoxville, what a place. <laughs> <gasps> this episode was about Knoxville. No, was it? No, that's no, Knoxville, Tennessee. What was this one about? This is Kentucky. Kentucky. Lexington. <laughs> <laughs> there's an X in Lexington and there's a K in Kentucky and that was enough for my brain. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of white boy confidence and I just went for it. I reckon you got to keep doing that uh, US state thing before you go to sleep every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got a little work to do, I think. Uh, but Chris Wig, Matt, what is Chris Wig heisting? Uh, Chris Wig heisting priceless diamonds. Wow. Uh, wow. As in because they're worth nothing? <laughs> no, not the ones we were talking about, the ones that are actually, you know, the few at the top end, the 1% of the 1% of diamonds that are actually valuable. Wow. That's what wow. he's taking, those big rocks. Cool. Hollywood-type diamonds, not talking about mum and pup shop. Holy <laughs> shit. Wow. Good on you, Chris Wig actually... Heisting up a storm there. Yeah. His stuff is kind of putting everyone else to shame. <laughs> His stuff is actually worth something. Sorry, everyone else. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> On you, Chris. I would finally, no, not finally. I would also like to thank from Frederick in Maryland in the United States of America, Victoria Brun or Victoria Brun. Victoria, I got to tell you, Maryland is the one that trips me up a bit. It's one of the eight M states. Damn. And that's the one that I will forget sometimes. But. It's always so satisfying when I remember it. It's got a great state flag. Does it? Yeah. A lot going okay. on. Love that. I'll give that a look. 
Um, <laughs> no, you won't. That sounded so sarcastic. I'll have to give that a look. Sorry. <laughs> Just sound like a bored dad. Oh, yeah, I'll have to give that a look. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because Victoria is heisting miniature flags. Oh, wow. Whoa. That's a cool one. The ones that she's... go on the end of limousines. Yes. <laughs> And that's where she's getting them. Yeah. <laughs> Every time there's a... Um, oh, that's dangerous. Yeah. She, she just like... Because there's always like um, uh, like CIA agents running alongside the car, obviously. So she just sort of runs along as well and just yanks it. Wow. She gets it. She flag. dresses up as a CIA agent. Yeah. She's nearly got the whole set. Whoa. All... How many countries are there again? Heaps. Oh, 700? 196 7, or something. 196. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Four more. Four more. <laughs> well, Can't we make a few more countries? Come on. What? Western Australia. It's that big. Let's They've wanted it. to. The good news is that there's a bunch of other countries that no one else recognises as countries. So, Bob, if you personally want to recognise them, you could round it up to 200. <gasps> the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm afraid that's an unincorporated territory of Denmark. So, God. Denmark. What about that one we did a bonus episode on a while ago? Can we count that? Sealand. Yeah. Sea land, but I was the, talking about the, the South bonus. Australian one, yeah, the Western Australian one, uh, Hut, Hut River, Hut, Hut Valley. Hut River. I've already forgotten. I only did that a few weeks ago. I talked about it on the radio a few hours ago. No, that was a uh, while was ago. We were in ago. the same room together. I remember, Bob. That must have been a bit. Oh, <laughs> the good old days. Been a while. All been right, a while. Finally, been a while. I'd like to thank from uh, Praisley in Scotland, Craig. Mowat or Craig? I'd like to praise Lee like I should. <laughs> Craig Mowat, just in case. I'll praise you. Um, of course, he is a heisting Fat Boy Slim memorabilia. <laughs> wow. Yes. And there what is does a that lot. mean? There is a lot. There's a bobblehead. <laughs> so not albums or anything, but all sort of the bullshit other stuff. I think Fat Boy Slim yeah. collects things with like smiley faces on them. That's one of his things. So he's stealing his collection of that as well. Oh, right. There's a poster uh, of uh, Christopher Walken from the film clip he was in. Post-it notes that say stuff like uh, things to do for Fat Boy Slim today and then a, a, like dot points. Mm-hmm. That's all part of the collection stolen by Craig from Scotland. Wow. Craig, you're a wily operator and I love it. I appreciate your own art form. That's a niche market, but he has got it covered. Good job, Craig. What is that uh, song called that Christopher Walken's in? Weapons of Mass Destruction, is it? Yeah. A weapon of choice. Weapon of choice. Craig Mowat's weapon of choice. Heiston. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, does that bring us to the end? Oh, no, I've got it. We've actually got a few, just a couple of Triptych inductees to come in this week. If you are signed up to uh, to support us for three years plus on the shout-out level, then you get inducted into the Triptych Club. It's a very uh, exclusive club where Jess uh, normally comes up with a cocktail. She's behind the bar. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm there assisting. I do the shaking part. Yeah. I don't do any of the stuff that measuring and stuff because I'm too much. I love free pouring. Can we do a free pour one tonight, Jess? Yeah, all right. <laughs> and then um, Dave, Dave's always booking a band as well. What are we, what are we drinking tonight? Tonight, well, we're we're eating um, Kentucky Fried Chicken um, because this was set in Kentucky, right? Oh, nice. Yeah, good. Have I forgotten that already? <laughs> um, Dave, help me brainstorm a drink that would go with chicken. 
Uh, like something Beer, like, probably. Or like something lemonade like pub squashy type thing. Ooh, yeah, okay. Like a yes. vodka pub squash. Love that. Vodka, vodka lemon, lemon bitters, so refreshing. Oh, a yeah. lemon rushki. <laughs> yeah, a lemon <laughs> rushki with uh, Kentucky Fried ch- Chicken. Oh, this is good stuff. And who who are we going to be while we're chowing down? Well, you we... not believe it. Uh, we've actually got Craig Mowat doing a DJ set where he's playing stolen Fatboy Slim records all night. Whoa. All night. Wow. That's cool. So, Craig Mowat on the decks. Good stuff. He's not even in the Triptage Club yet. So but, he's just in as a guest. Well, guest <laughs> performer. Wow. Yes. Welcome and then in. we, you know, we shuffle him out the back <laughs> yeah. as soon as you so he doesn't over. see anything. <laughs> no mingling. That he's not yet to see. Uh, so <laughs> there are, and Dave normally also works, not only books the bands, he also works as the hype man. <laughs> as you run in to the club, oh, I lift the velvet rope. Oh, all right, here we Dave go. hypes you up as you come in. So we've got just the, hang on, what day is it today? Okay. Christmas day. Carry the <laughs> two. <laughs> It is the 9th of September. Jeez, the time moved so fast. So we've got two inductees today from Stony Stanton in Leicestershire, Great Britain. It's Nick Thompson. Oh, did somebody nick my unhappiness? Because you're here. (laughs) Just in the nick of time. (laughs) I mean, that's too, too good. (laughs) Do you understand, Jess? That's too good. Yeah, sorry. I feel like, yeah, maybe... Jess takes over this role next week, Dave. No, 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 no. I've been told. <laughs> uh, and secondly, if you've got nothing to work with here, Dave, you're fired. From Homestead, Florida in the United States, it's Aaron Land. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to take off. <laughs> oh, no, all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> fine. Okay. Well, I thought that was pretty good. That is good. That is good. Dave, are you, are you forfeiting don't the role? <laughs> yeah, Jess, if you want to do no, it. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to it do it. Accidentally... I love watching Dave do it. It's the best. Come on, Dave. Going, Dave. I'll give you another run up here. How many more? How many more? This is the last one from oh, Homestead, Come on, Dave. Florida. Come on, Dave. In the United States, it's Aaron Land. Touchdown! <laughs> As she like, lands. That's fair. Yeah. All right. You got the job. You can keep it. <laughs> Mainly because Jess doesn't want it, but still. That brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening. This was a bit of a longer one, I think. This could be the longest one ever, do you think? No, I think, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, but it's been fun and uh, we've learned a lot, we've laughed a lot, we've lived a lot. Great story, a wild story. Thank you, Matt. Well done. Thank you so much. Uh, I think once all the uh, ums and ahs are edited out, this will be down to a a nifty 45 minutes. (laughs) 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 And... Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, Dave, people should just stay tuned on the Book Cheat feed. Hopefully you'll have one coming out soon. Yeah, uh, that's right. Primate's still coming out with recaps of the Umbrella Academy where me and Evan are going back and watching those episodes. Uh, and the new episode of Listen Now will have just come out about the classic dad rock band accidentally came out on Father's Day evening, Dire Straits and their album Brothers in Arms. And, yeah, that was a real fun episode um, so check all that stuff out. Uh, follow us on the social medias. Where are we again, Bob? We're do go on pod on everything and at gmail.com and dot com. Yes. Can't go wrong. So, 
With that seamless explanation, you should be able to find us very easily. <laughs> There'll be links in the show notes. Uh, it's the same with the YouTube channels, also Do Go On Pod. It's all Do Go On Pod. Anyway, yeah. what a pleasure it's been. Um, always so good to hang out with you two, my obvious friends. <laughs> uh, Dave, boot us out. Boot us home. Well, thanks so much for listening. And until next week, I will say thank you and goodbye. Later. podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.